0: Talking, talking, it, talking. it talk it, it, talk it, it, it movies talk it talk it talk movies Talking, it talk it movies talk it talk it, talk it movies the tell me shut up i it, do what it all
1: do it I one. I do
0: it I one. I do it I one. do it I, I one. Boom, bada boom, bada bing, party people, what is happening? Welcome to another edition of Talking During Movies. I don't know why I say what's happening. It's not like you're responding. You're in the car going, oh, he called on me. I'm over here, Jason. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I don't care. I mean, maybe. I actually don't. I don't know why I would even say maybe. But I'm happy you're listening, and I do appreciate that, even though we don't do advertising on this program, because we keep it 100% free for you, and then we just give beautiful company shout-outs and love and everything else. Uh, so, yeah. So, there you go. There's our fun intros. You guys know it to be. Uh, we have a great guest on today, folks. I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, he's one, he has a very unique career. He's got an amazing family. And, two, for some reason or another, for the last thirty plus years, he's uh, decided to be my friend, and that's a long time for <laughs> for anyone. So, that's like, that's like more than half of our lives. I know it's just terrifying. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my good friend, the often copied, the never duplicated, uh, the 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 king of of the political leadership in Big Fork, Montana from 1990, 1988 to 1992. The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Sheedy. How are you, sir? What's happening?
1: I am well. I am doing very well. Thank you, Jason. And uh, thank you for the glowing introduction.
0: Well, you know, this is what I do for a living. So it should be generally stuttered through and awful. By the way, a lot, people, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, but, but before I get into that story, we're watching Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. You picked this movie. What is it about this movie that you like? What makes this well, one of your faves?
1: This is a fun movie. I mean, you know, it's Harrison Ford, Sean uh, uh, Connery. I mean, you got two great, um, you got two great actors. Oh, there's that's that's Double Arch down in uh, Arches National Park. I didn't realize that it was filmed there. Um, but uh they're fighting nazis i mean you know
0: it's 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 a good show there's and, and by the way different co- real nazis not the fake no, nazis no no these are nazi nazis not not when they're calling ben shapiro a jewish man nazi okay but real nazis the real bad nazis real the ones nazi. no one likes
1: yeah these are like go hitler nazis
0: yes so uh, yeah we got i mean we've got a great cast of characters really well done yeah utah 1912 uh Great one, um, for a lot of people that don't know, and I, I, we've talked about this, I've talked about this in other episodes right? I did, speech and debate in, in college, and that helped pay for college. What a lot of people don't know is the only reason I ever even thought about speech and debate or did it was because of Nick. You were, it was the Western Conference Finals in Big Fork, and you guys were one person short to compete. And you called me and you said, hey, you've got to do two events. Just show up, just be a warm body. Barely mm-hmm. have to do anything. And I won them both. <laughs> well, did you do impromptu? Is that what? I did impromptu extemporaneous, yes. And extemporaneous.
1: Well, impromptu is like, you know, thinking on your feet. That's something I'm terrible at. You know, I'm terrible at impromptu speaking. But uh, but yeah, you excelled at it and it was fun. I loved speech and debate in high school and in college.
0: Yeah, and, and we
1: uh, uh, You know, Big Fork, even though our high school had what? Did our, did our high school even have 100 and 160, 180 kids in it?
0: I mean, our graduating class was 51, I believe. Or 60, yeah. Or, well, it was well, going
1: to be. Had, six, we had 60-some. I don't know how many kids
0: But didn't, well, we, unfortunately, we had a couple kids pass. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, we had, there was a couple of dark years there at the, uh, well, the Open
1: for But for our little school, we had like 40 40 or 50 kids on the speech and debate team. We were one of the larger speech and debate teams in the state of Montana. Yeah, I mean, true. except for like Kalispell or, or Missoula, you know, some of the big, big, big schools might have had larger teams than us. But for a school our size, we had way more kids on the yeah. speech and team than most kids. And we did
0: well. I was going to say, and and a successful, a successful mm-hmm. team. Yeah. I yeah. think
1: my junior year, we had four state champions. I was one of them. Yeah, and
0: uh, I senior think Ron- year, I don't know. I was a state champion.
1: Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, the those long road trips, you know, anywhere in Montana, you know, you jump on the bus and how? I mean, Kalispell was probably the closest one we went to, but
0: yeah, I remember going true.
1: all the way to Bozeman. That's like a ten-hour
0: drive. Yeah, I remember Bozeman. Yeah, we we had we had, a, we, had a, we had a good time. It was. It was very interesting, and it, it did. It really, uh, it. I mean, it helped pay for my schooling. You know, we uh, we got recruited to go to Carroll College. We got recruited to Linfield, where you ended up going. Yeah. Um, I ended up at uh, you know the the very fun and uh, Bible college, and then got kicked out of there, as we know. And then uh, you know, uh, ended up going to a different college down in uh, Southern California.
1: I don't think I heard this story exactly.
0: You well out. you remember right so I um we got uh, when we did our road trip <laughs> yes. and we ended up going to Mexico I ended up taking an extra week off of school because I was just in Mexico yes well they found out I was in Mexico drinking and hanging out and they politely asked
1: me to leave like like mid-semester or like like the end of the term end of the term. So, like, you got to finish out that term, but...
0: yep. and then I went to, and then I went down to SoCal and was in uh, Costa Mesa and graduated from there.
1: Well, I visited you at both schools and yeah. Costa Mesa, as, as I recall, not to tell stories, but as I recall at, at Costa Mesa, they they kind of turned a blind eye to
0: that sort of thing. Yeah, so, for uh, me... <laughs> Hey, there was a lot of things. I remember
1: things. hanging out with some of your friends. That was back when we were single. I'm not going to yeah. tell stories on you. Don't tell stories on me, or I will bring up Steffi. Hey, L. listen.
0: Hey, <laughs> I, 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 the, these are the stories I want to bring up. Because like, this is like in like, this isn't in, like in two Indiana Jones, right? And it's um, you know he's always going on these adventures. He is always in search of something and. What was interesting is that when we were growing up in Montana, we're 14 years old and we're getting driver's licenses and we're Mm -hmm. borrowing cars, and we're just hanging out and having fun. I mean, I remember just taking a trip on a Friday night, right on down to Helena, Montana. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, it was like, but it's like people can't fathom that to this day. Like
1: yeah, you 15, couldn't, sixteen year old kids.
0: We're gonna go down to the state fair. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go hit the state fair. We're gonna drive down to Townsend, Montana, see my grandmother. We're gonna go to a wedding party. Then we're gonna drive back into Helena. There were, I mean, it was like all, th- these were all the crazy things that we did, and you know, it was it was just kids just don't do that stuff these days. And I think some of that's good, right? We definitely dodged yeah. some big bullets.
1: I, we shouldn't be alive. Was, no we shouldn't going 120 miles an hour up the swan valley i mean come on Do you remember the trip we took to eureka it was like nothing special girls basketball game we yeah we loaded nine people in that nissan maxima
0: do you remember the cop coming up tapping on the hood of the car oh, we well, weren't as paying we're attention yeah we were leaving the game yeah, yeah, as we're yeah. leaving. we weren't even paying attention and he's like what are you guys doing and quick thinking impromptu on my feet I'm like we're just seeing how many people could fit in this car and he goes looks like nine <laughs> get them out <laughs> and then we had to drive down the street around the block
1: yeah <laughs> some of those girls thought we were gonna ditch them up yeah there.
0: they're like are you guys gonna leave us here and eureka it's like no <laughs> god yes probably but that's just you know
1: 90 miles and i'm pretty sure we did it in under an hour
0: oh yeah everything was under an hour I remember being able to get to Kalispell in 10 minutes. You know, there was just, we had this, and what for, people don't realize, and, I, and a little backtrack here for you folks. One, there was a very long time where Montana didn't have a speed limit. There was also a greater time when Montana had a speed limit, but the tickets were
1: $5. No, I'm pretty sure they were 10. Were they 10? Yeah, and, and you just paid the cop.
0: Yeah, just paid, we, we did that outside of Townsend. <laughs> we're just floating into Helena at a hundred at <laughs> night, where there's deer and antelope and and, and cows and horses, and we're just and get lit up, pull over, hand him a ten dollar bill, and then and keep driving ahead. Yeah, those were the days, you know. And and it's you know it's weird because to your point, like I don't know how we how we lived, you know, you look at, you watch a show like Indiana Jones and all these crazy things and you're in there, you know, they're swinging from trees and they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, I didn't swing from a tree with a whip, but I drove a car on cruise control at 80 with my feet sitting on the sunroof. (laughs) Well, you sat next to me. More than once, I think. More than once going down highway 93, thinking it was funny to wave at the cars from the Of our car, yeah, nothing dangerous about that at all.
1: Yeah, you know, part of that is just you know, youthful ignorance and thinking you're invincible. But I do think that growing up in Montana, there there was just a different attitude here, especially when we were kids. And I say kids, I mean teenagers. Yeah, you know, uh, and growing up in a resort community too, where you know a million tourists walk through the door you know, down the street every year or, you know, in three months in the summertime. And we were, you know, I'm back up here now and, and, and traffic's crazy. But when you get all those tourists coming through too, there's kind of an attitude of, you know, just party hardy and not that I was a partier. I don't think you partied that much either, but, but we had fun, you had know, I wasn't going out and boozing, boozing it and I never smoked pot or anything like that, but, but we went out and just had fun. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was.
0: Yeah. We were. Uh, go go ahead. I'm just. I'm sorry. Just, uh, I,
1: but I, I think the attitude was just like you know, have as much fun as you can. And my dad kind of encouraged that with me. Um, but my I know my dad was a wild one when he was a kid. And,
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's not like Lee was any saint for me, right? <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ. <laughs> you want to talk yeah. about someone who partied? He was sue
1: but my dad, you know, my dad, he, you know, even though I wrecked a couple of cars, my dad was like, well, at least you didn't wreck 12. I think my dad wrecked 12 cars of when he was a kid, when he was a teenager. Really? Yeah. No, like, seriously, like total 12 cars.
0: How many did we wreck? Let's see. I, I mean, I beat the shit out of that Maxima. <laughs> I wrecked the uh, Chevy Celebrity. Um, the, uh, the Suburban was wrecked and repaired. I don't know how many times so i only had three
1: well i totaled our amc eagle come first of all you
0: you you totaled an american classic sir okay (laughs) you total you totaled a piece of of engineering that subaru was like subaru had to make the brat just to beat out the amc eagle
1: Yeah. Well, we had the four-door Eagle. It was the, it was, you know, the station wagon. That's right. I remember. Yeah, no, coming out of Loon Lake, going too fast. And, and, and the story I told was a deer came into the road. That deer happened to be Jake Steck in his Beetle. (laughs) Manning in the passenger seat. Both of them thought that I was going to
0: hit him head on.
1: and Instead, I ditched it and hit a stump. Yeah, and then
0: I totaled. Um, you had that Volkswagen Scirocco?
1: Yeah, I never, t- I never got in a wreck in that though. I no. swapped ends a few times in the in, in the winter, but uh,
0: we we did some we did some figure eights down the highway in that thing oh, a yeah. couple of times.
1: But uh, <laughs> I think a, a a Ford Bronco. I totaled a yep, Ford Bronco. I remember the Bronco. That, the... But that wasn't my fault. The kid, a kid was turning left, so I, I was passing. I was passing legally on the summer's cutoff. And I was passing the kid, and then he turned left. Uh, what the hell? Without a turn signal on. Wow. And I T boned him. And I threw him through Clark's Furniture parking lot. You know, it was oh, like yeah. the only building out there at the time. Middle of uh, nowhere. Yeah, he was turning into Clark's Furniture store, that little factory where they made the log furniture. Uh-huh. And I T boned him and I threw him. I mean, I was going 60, and it, and he was practically to stand still because he's, like, turning off the highway in his pickup truck.
0: Jeez. I stopped,
1: like, immediately, and I threw him, like, 150 feet Oh! In that truck. Totaled his truck, totaled my vehicle. Yep. But, uh, man, but those are the only two vehicles I think I totaled.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I didn't really... I got. I was in different vehicles where Brenda was driving, and they were totaled. I was in three different accidents with her where it was her fault, and the car really? was totaled. Oh yeah, yeah. She was a horrible driver, you know. But she, you know, the funny thing was, she'd always get mad at Lee for drinking, but you know, she was taking <laughs> and fucking Vicodins a day. Can't believe that drunk, <laughs> you know, just floating off in a Never Neverland, hasn't shit in a year. So oh, I hard left turns in this podcast. Here's one. Your job and what you do mm-hmm. is a lot like Indiana Jones. It's oh, just yeah. it's yeah. the the narrative is different in that the treasure is different, but the hunt is still the same. So one for those that are out there that are going, well, then what does he do? Obviously, you know you're a pirate, but besides that, your side job. Nick, <laughs> tell people what you do. Kind of, how? I mean, you've always had a love for history. You've always, you know, your family from as far back as when we went out to John Day the first time, right? You know, there's always been interest in lineage and history and what's going on and having old photographs around it and and not just the photographs, but then these detailed, beautiful stories behind the photographs. I remember visiting your grandmother and sitting down. It's like, we got stories, man. We had a cup of coffee and we got stories and not light stories.
1: And you you probably, you met my great granddad when we- Yes. yeah, he would have been. He was in his nineties at that. He point. was in his
0: nineties and telling stories. That was the time we got chased out of town late at yeah. night after going to this dance. Yeah, <laughs>
1: we couldn't go to the high school dance because we didn't check in with the superintendent beforehand.
0: I know, and we knew people there. That was, but that was also always the weird thing. People always give me shit because they're just like, you know, people in every town. I'm like, yeah, because I had friends who knew people in every town, so it was like <laughs> there was always something. So back to it, your job, how you got into it. Obviously, you know, you didn't leave Linfield with a major in what you do. So no,
1: But it kind of le- does lend itself to it. But no, I am uh, the lead genealogist for the PBS television show Finding Your Roots. And Finding Your Roots is the most popular TV show on public television right now. Um, it has been for, for a few seasons. I think uh, we took that over after Downton Abbey. Um, wow. So Downton Abbey is, as I understand it, Downton Abbey is like the only show that's been more popular than, than Finding Your Roots. So we interview celebrity guests. We tell them about their family history um, and you know what their roots are, where they came from, where their family came from. Usually it's stories they've never heard before about ancestors that they have no idea they're related to. And so, uh, but sometimes our guests have, specific questions or stories that they've either either heard or they want us to verify. And a few of our guests have, you know, an unknown parent. You know, they don't know who their father was or a grandparent was unknown. And we try to solve that mystery for them. And um, that involves DNA usually. Um, I'm not the genetic genealogist, but I support that. I do the paper trail research. And we have another genealogist on staff, and then you know, occasionally we need to find somebody else uh, locally or foreign researchers to help us, and especially in countries where we don't have good access to records. We, we're doing research on a somebody who has uh, her mother's from Thailand. We have no records available to us from Thailand. We have to get somebody in the country to do that. Korea, Japan. How does that work,
0: uh, real quick? With that, not to interrupt your story, here, but real quick. But how does that when? Let's say I'm living in, we're friends, I've retired, I've, companies sold, you know, uh, the wife has decided that having our kid taught in Thailand by a tutor is going to be better for us all around. I'm living in Thailand, you call me like, Jay, I'm working with this person, I need your help, you discover things, but there's no real record. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. I don't want to demean the Thai culture in any way,
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: it seems like the record keeping capacity of what they do versus let's say what we do here in the states is so different how do you train yourself to then train a person to go dig for those records
1: well we usually end up uh either hiring a professional genealogist who's already in that that country oh okay or we get a scholar or somebody who's already accustomed to doing some research but in a country like thailand you know they they keep civil vital records like we do now, birth, uh-huh. death, marriage records, but they didn't keep them, say, even in the early 1900s. So you get in the early 1900s and into the 1800s, there's just no records or very, very, very few records. So we very quickly run out of the paper trail. So what we end up doing is trying to get in touch with relatives who tell us stories. And, you know, we get anecdotal information and, you know, hopefully we get stories that our guest hasn't heard before. Okay. But... But for a research in the United States and a large uh, a part of our um, show's theme is, um, uh, is racial themes. So we have a lot of African-American guests whose ancestors were born in, in slavery. And cool. so that's one angle that we take. Uh, we research uh, black people back to emancipation. Sometimes mm-hmm. their ancestors were free people of color before the civil war. Uh, but we try to identify slave owners. We try to you know, just uh, uh, scratch out another generation or two in the slave records. Um, and uh, that's often a black hole that, that African Americans just can't, uh, you know, can't get through. And, and so we try to break down some of those brick walls and tell some of our uh, uh, Black guests, especially, where they came from, and, and stories about their enslaved ancestors that they, they may have had no idea about, and you know sometimes we find just amazing stories there. Um, I'm thinking uh, I did research for Questlove, the, the leader of the band, oh, yeah. uh, and he's the, the you know the the Tonight Show's the uh, band leader. Um, he had ancestors that came out of Mobile, Alabama area. And I went back to the 1880, 1870 censuses, like we just, you know, look people up in the federal censuses. And I noticed in 1870 and seventy and eighty that these people said they were born in Africa, but they were born long after the international slave trade was abolished. And so I'm like, well, that has to be a fluke, you know, but it's two censuses in a row. Born in Africa, born in Africa, this man and his wife, Charlie and America Lewis was their name. And I start looking up and down the page and here's their neighbors born in Africa, born in Africa, you know, a whole neighborhood. And I thought, wait a minute. And it dawned on me and I couldn't remember the name of the ship off the top of my head. I had to Google it. But I'm like, wait a minute. There was a story about like the last slave ship, the last known slave ship. And it came in like 1859. It was totally illegal. It was the the ship's name was the Clotilda. And it was like a crazy story because the guy that outfitted it and and financed this voyage did it on a boast and a bet. Like he wagered that he could send a ship to Africa, buy some slaves, bring them back to the United States, do it under the radar, and nobody would hang. And guess what? Nobody hung. I mean, they ended up like burning the Clotilda to the water line, but, but they brought 160 some slaves to the United States in 1859. And this is like, you know, a a half a century after the international slave trade was abolished.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: But Questlove's ancestors were on this ship.
0: And so we were
1: able to tell this story and the really- What did
0: Questlove say when he gets this piece of information?
1: He he was in tears, you know? And the really cool thing, his ancestor was Charlie Lewis is the name that he took in in America. But Charlie Lewis, uh, we tracked down a distant cousin of of Questlove who had a photograph of Charlie Lewis. And I mean, he got a look at the face of his ancestor who we know was born in Africa and transported to America, you know, as a slave on a slave ship.
0: The last one.
1: Yeah, the last known slave ship. So that was like, that was probably one of the coolest stories that, that I've been involved with. And um, yeah, that was really cool. But no, Questlove was like, you know, dumbfounded. I mean, yeah. this is like, that's like a one in a million. This is like crazy, crazy, you know, fluky luck that we stumbled upon this story. But the other cool thing about it, and yeah, you know, like Indiana Jones, he's like, you know, ferreting around for, you know, clues and for stories. and. uh when uh, we contacted the Mobile Library about narratives, because there were 160-some slaves, and uh, there was another another slave that was transported on the Clotilda lived into the 1920s, and he gave several interviews. And so we got firsthand accounts from a slave's perspective what a slave ship was like. Wow. Um, but when we contacted the Mobile Library, they had a copy Of the captain's journal. So, the captain of this ship, Captain Mears, I believe his name was, kept a journal. It's not a ship's log, it's not a daily diary, but it's a journal. And he like details how they outfitted the ship, how they made it look like they were going to haul lumber and they were, you know, leaving port. He's like, you know, the absolute
0: asshole's guide to sneaking in slaves.
1: But it's like this diary, and like they pull into port in Africa, and he talks about how they go see the Grand and negotiate for how much they're going to pay for these slaves. He brought a bunch of gold with him. They traded gold for slaves. They're loading the ship with slaves, and you know, it's just a crazy story. But what was amazing to me in that narrative was when he described being walked down to the warehouse near the docks where they were to pick out the slaves that they wanted to take he just talks about this warehouse that had three or four thousand people in it naked three or four thousand people naked in chains and they were just starting you know just pick just pointing who they wanted to take and you can only imagine there might be some families here and they're picking you know a family member to take with them but uh the the thing that that really stuck with me there was that the the agent who was selling the slaves offered to brand them
0: oh jesus christ no come on
1: no so the captain in his little in his little journal the captain writes down you know they they had you know they, they offered to brand these slaves for us and he just recoiled in disgust now this is a slave ship, Captain. I mean, he doesn't have any qualms purchasing another human being, transporting oh. them across the, the, the Atlantic to the United States, illegally smuggling slaves into the US to be slaves for life. He doesn't have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, that's but not he, a big deal.
1: Yeah, but he recoils in disgust that, 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 that the, the slaves might be branded so i mean it just kind of shows you that there's just a crazy morality here that you know it's just so foreign to us
0: today well now let me ask you this if you don't mind and if if and by the way you can always say hey jay sorry you th- these are waters I don't want to venture into but I, you know we were we were very blessed growing up Mm-hmm. We had a, a, a wide breadth of teachers around us. Boshka from, you know, I mean, Russian, right. I mean, just, we had, you know, we had the crazy art teacher lady. I forget her name now. You know, uh, She didn't like me. Yeah. She didn't like a lot of people. It's fine. She was a crazy hippie. I didn't like her you know, we had Mr. Rackett, but we had this, 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 this cornucopia of of ideals and principles and different people, but it made, you know, I forget our social studies teacher guy, only got his hair cut once a year because, you know, he Mr. Ferris, Ferris, he didn't get paid shit, cut his hair once a year. So I wonder, you know, and the work that you do, Nick, and then we hear on the news how they keep trying to change education, but then I hear your story with Questlove and what you do, and I'm just like, okay, shouldn't then history be a little bit more about what you're doing? A little well, bit more a little bit more of home ec, a little bit more of taxes, a little bit more <laughs> of saving money, a little bit more of, of, of understanding contracts, a little bit more of, of anything else than deciding, you know, because here's the one thing I noticed about your story. Here's the one thing I noticed. You didn't want say who was right and who was wrong because you didn't have to. You didn't once say these horrible racist people they need to be burned out of history. You didn't all you you gave a narrative, a beautiful narrative of an accomplished person here in the US that has a history that one could say is is tarnished. But at the same time, without that tarnished history, we don't, maybe we don't have Questlove. Maybe we don't have his music. We don't have his genius. We don't, we don't have his inspiration. We don't have his joy. We don't know. Right. But so many people, it seems like want to just burn it away. And I'm not down for all the monuments, right. Of, of, of horrible sons of bitches, but um, I'm also a hundred percent against trying to burn away the bad things or or change the narrative to where like I don't I don't mind that Columbus was a piece of shit teach it if he's a horrible piece of shit teach it we teach Hitler he's a horrible piece of shit you know I mean just I don't care but also well, then we can, we does can, Columbus need a statue
1: probably not like let's <laughs> figure out some other people to get, to get a statue well some of those I mean his statues come down too but I, you know, I think that we can, we can teach the facts. Yeah. We can teach an accurate, an accurate representation of history and allow students and the general public to, to, you know, make up their own minds. But so much of what has been taught uh, has been whitewashed. And so, I mean, there was a really interesting phenomenon that happened in the, early 1900s may, mainly, and with a lot of history books that were used in public schools, um, the Daughters of the Confederacy basically gave their stamp of approval, or they didn't. Yeah. And, and, and if they didn't, they would label a history book, this book is unfair to the South. Yep. And, and, and of course, those books were not used anywhere across the South. in in public schools, but these are the textbooks that huge publishing houses print for schools across the country. And so you end up having um, history books that are written really to placate people like the Daughters of the Confederacy. And so for many years, um, you know, you had, you did have a whitewashed uh, a view or, or perspective of history being taught in public schools across the country. Um, what was interesting to me, uh, and I never realized this, you know, growing up way out West.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: my mom moved back to Virginia for a while. She married a guy from her hometown in Ohio and he happened to, uh, uh, he had a job, he worked for a big printing company that used to be based in my mom's hometown Shelby, Ohio, but they moved to Richmond, Virginia. And so uh they met out in Oregon, you know, just kind of a coincidence. They were from the same little town in Ohio. They ended up getting married. He says, well, you know, I could go back to work for a few years and uh, have a job waiting for me. So he goes back to Richmond. My mom moved back to, to Virginia, you know. Uh, I don't know how long she was there, three, four, five years. Uh, but she lived a few miles from Appomattox Courthouse. Um, not far from Lynchburg, not far from Richmond, but she worked in Farmville, and she worked at a, a little college, and then she ended up working at uh, a public school, and she complained that when parents, or sometimes grandparents, of uh, some of the kids came in to the school, that these people were almost illiterate, some of them, and, and most of them would have been Black, that were, were she, she said, like, they couldn't read, you know, they had a hard time reading, like these were adults. And somebody at the school, like another secretary at the school said, well, you know, they would have been in school when all the schools were shut down. When all the schools were shut down? When all the schools were shut down. So what happened was that I never realized this. So Brown versus Board of Education, you yeah. know, a landmark Supreme Court case that said, No, you cannot have, you know, racially segregated public schools in the United States. You know, you just can't do that. You need to integrate your schools. Well, the schools didn't just turn around immediately and and integrate all their schools. What happened in some states, and this happened in Buckingham County, Virginia, they just shut down their public schools for several years. Nobody went to public school. So the white kids probably went to, you know, private school. Went to their local
0: church or whatever that did it? Exactly.
1: But the public schools shut down for several years. Nobody went to school. And, of course, if you're a poor black kid or a poor white kid, you probably couldn't afford to go to, you know, a private school that popped up to fill this gap. But as a result, some kids didn't go to school for years and so i never realized that that was never taught to me even in college you know so the the idea that that uh that was the reaction that was the response that some school districts had to brown versus board was to just shut down uh that's that was crazy to me to learn that and of course, then, you know, I'm looking into it and I'm like, yeah, because I'm curious. And and uh, it, it does kind of inform the sort of research I do for some of our guests on our sure. on show. It's never a story we've told on the show, but I'm thinking, wow, that's like that's not something that's common knowledge. I don't think unless you lived it. And I mean, it might be common knowledge to people down south who, whose parents or grandparents, you know, didn't go to school for four or five years totally missed out on on education you know and that has a trickle down effect you know to their children to the grandchildren because you know it just totally limits their uh their potential in life and so you know little things like that um you know getting back to you know do we whitewash history? You know how do we present this you know accurate historical information and, and let people decide what to do with it? You yeah. know Well, I mean, this was the reaction to the Supreme Court decision that we needed to have racially integrated schools was some schools just shut down. They said we're not going to have public schools period for a few years. And um, you know, then nobody gets educated. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that's that's the reality.
0: Oh, this is just it's so crazy. I mean, this is the beautiful thing of history, right? Like if we don't whitewash it, we don't fuck around with it. We're just honest with history. These are the stories you get. This is the insight you get. And that's the that's the that's the history, because it is the one thing about history that I love is its owners. Yes, that happened. I own that piece of history. We have made mistakes. We have driven cars too fast we've done dumb things we haven't called our parents when we should have we've done a multitude of dumb things it makes it's going to make us great fathers because our kids are going to try to pull a wool over our eyes and i'm like hey i'm sorry the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and this tree <laughs> has got some deep roots son deep well, and, roots <laughs> and and we moved back
1: to montana because i thought this would be a great place to raise my boys and you know good place for them to grow up so you know, maybe, maybe history repeats itself a
0: little bit, but yeah, we'll, see. we'll see. But it's, you know, so you look at all those things, you're just like, hey, man, this is, I just wish it was more of, of that honesty of history and, mm-hmm. and, that, and that story of history. Because I think sometimes, you know, always there's, you know, people try to put an agenda on it, they try to do X, Y, and Z, or they're like, oh, you can't tell that story because, you know, to your point, whoever that person may be or whatever, it might hurt their feelings it's like but if it's history it's history yeah and we, 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 try we can't to, learn from things that we don't talk about
1: exactly we try to on on our show we try to tell stories of course we're limited we have a guest you know we have a guest and they had two parents and four grandparents and eight great grandparents that we're limited to this person's family tree so we, yeah. but we try to pick out stories uh, of course, that the guest hasn't heard before, so we get great reactions from them. Um, and so it's meaningful to our guest. Um, our guest is our guest, literally. You know, they're not paid. We're not under contract. They, they are here. Uh, they, they're interviewed uh, as a courtesy, and we try to tell them uh, as much as we can about their family tree. Um, but also, you know, it's not lost on me that we're telling stories that resonate with the public at large, and I—I I, I mean, I'm like other people when I'm watching episodes. Sometimes I'm in tears because it's—it is heartbreaking. Sometimes, the other—the other thing about our our show that it just gets me every time um, is we have quite a few Jewish guests on our show, mm-hmm. and um, any any Jewish guests who come from Eastern Europe, um, the stories end up being. Kind of the same. Oh, your people lived in the Pale of Settlement. They were kicked around. They were suppressed. They were poor. They were prohibited from owning farmland, and they came to the United States seeking a better s- life. Um, but inevitably, um, many of the relatives that stayed behind ended up dying in the Holocaust. And we've told that story several times over and over again. But it's really it's worth repeating, because. I mean, you read in school, World War II was bad, Hitler was evil, the Nazis had this terrible agenda, the Holocaust killed six million people, you know, and, uh, all of these Jews died, we should never forget this. You know, it, it was bad. Everybody knows that. Yes. But when you actually dig into it and you start doing the sort of research I do, family history research, you start putting names to the story. You start making personal connections to like our guests. And the reality is that in Poland, if you, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but here's the statistic. 90% of the Jews who lived in Poland before World War II did not live in Poland at the end of the Holocaust. 90, 90%. Oh. That means only 10% of of Polish Jews still lived in Poland at the end of World War II, 10%. So, I mean, that statistic never jumped out at me when I read a history book about World War II and the Holocaust, that 90% of the Jews in Poland were either displaced or killed, 90. But here's the thing, I've, I've done research, family history research for a few guests and also a, a probate case jumped, jumps out at me. Uh, a, a woman in California died um, and uh, she didn't have a will. No. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a famous picture of Elvis Presley when he got drafted for the Korean War and he's like going off to war and there's a famous picture of Elvis Presley kissing his girlfriend as he's getting on the bus. Yes. This woman was his girlfriend. This was this was Elvis Presley's girlfriend back in the day. She so never she, married, didn't have kids.
0: Yeah, but I bet she was 12 and he was 17. <laughs> Just as Elvis liked it. <laughs> Fucking pervert.
1: Wasn't that way, but this woman died, had a, a several million dollar estate. She was an only child. She never married, she never had kids. So she has no brothers or sisters, no nieces or nephews. I had to track down her first cousins. Well, some of her first, a couple of her first cousins knew, actually three, three first cousins knew her um, be, because one of her first, she was Jewish. I should uh, say that to begin with, she's mm-hmm. Jewish. Um, Her mother immigrated to the United States in the 1920s, okay? So this woman's mother immigrates in the 1920s. Marries, has one daughter. Uh, Actually, had two, but the, the other sister passed away. But only one first cousin immigrated before World War II. And after World War II, that man moved heaven and earth to track down his two younger brothers who survived the holocaust and bring them to america but but my task was i had to show there's no other first cousins there's no other relatives who would be heirs to this estate sure and so because we had uh uh, uh three first cousins and a couple children of, a, of one of the first cousins, provide some family information, I was able to outline the family. And um, the decedent, um, she was born in the 1930s, out of all of her first cousins, 38, I believe, first cousins, 35 of them died in the Holocaust. And the only two little boys survived the Holocaust who remained in Poland, and then her one first cousin who had immigrated to the United States before World War II. So she, she she of course was born in the US. Yes. Only only one of her first cousins who was born in the in Poland immigrated before World War II. And and then only two of her 38 first cousins who were actually still injured in, in, in Poland during the Holocaust survived. So, My you know, God. I, so, so I throw this statistic out there, 90 percent, 90 percent of the Polish Jews were killed during the Holocaust. But in reality, you know, you, you look at a family and you start putting names I'm
0: going to pause for a second, Jason. Yeah, please, it's fine. You're, you're my, all son, good. Isaac, my son
1: Isaac just decided to pop through the Hey, door. don't
0: worry about it. Isaac, what's <laughs> up? Isaac, get over here. Isaac, say hi to me. I think you famous. <laughs> no, Isaac, let's,
1: go. His mom called him away. He, he brought me a drink, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this drink is a margarita mix that Chelsea got at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> Did
0: you get an umbrella? Come on, Isaac. Not step sure. your game up. i what hey.
1: not sure. kind of fruity. So that was like, that was a a crazy interruption to a pretty serious topic. But so you can, I mean, you can read a history book, oh, Holocaust is bad. You can even get a statistic like, oh, only 10% of the Polish Jews survived the Holocaust. That's terrible. But then when you start putting names to um, the, the murdered Jews at Auschwitz, and for this probate case, I had to track down every record I could. And we found some records that I was like amazed. I didn't even realize they existed. So Auschwitz, Auschwitz, mm-hmm. okay? You know what Auschwitz is. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. A, it's an, it was a concentration camp, but then it was a death camp. They kept death certificates. The Nazis made death certificates for Jews who died
0: at oh. Auschwitz.
1: Now, Jesus. now, when they when they went full bore right at the end, and they started just killing as many people as they could, they did not issue death certificates there. But if somebody was at Auschwitz and they died in the mm-hmm. camp, a physician issued a death certificate. We found we found a couple of those death certificates Jesus. for for our our decedents, aunt and uncle, and I think a cousin or two death certificates from Auschwitz I would have never guessed
0: so now Nick real quick I mean because I just I I want I want to kind of bring this weight in a little bit you know it's so not only I mean not only are you engaged with a family member in this case a probate whatever it may be so Mm -hmm. you've got a name and you've got a situation that's rather current you know there's there's money, there's, there's all these tangible objects that make it relative to work life experience, all of these things around you. And then there are the things that are removed that aren't work life experience World War II, the Holocaust, many of things. When those merge together as a family man, you know, a husband and a father, when all that's going on and it is emotional, how do you balance that? And at the same time, how do you use what's happening in your life professionally to uh, to ensure that your kids are getting a more unique and well-rounded piece of history that enables an emotional connection or a motive response?
1: That that's a really good question, Jason. And you know what? I've been interviewed a number of times. You know, mainly PBS channels but a few other tv shows that you know one interview me for the for the tv show you know for finding your roots you know um juneteenth is now a federal holiday yep. um and um you know black history month in february and um but nobody's ever asked that question you know usually we're focused on well how to go how do you how do you you know, go about this sort of research and, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you tell, you know, African-Americans, especially, uh, you know, researching their roots, you know, how to go about it. What's the nuts and bolts of of how to go about this research. But in reality, um, you know, I'm deeply touched sometimes by some of the stories that I uncover. And I don't know, I don't think I've ever told anybody this before, but ever since I was a kid, I had a recurring nightmare. I had a it was like a crazy dream. Okay? And in this dream, uh, you know how sometimes you have a dream where maybe you don't see a face but you have an idea in your mind that this is a certain person. Yes, 100%. So so in this dream, I'm 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 on a train in a in a train car, a box car with my wife, I don't see your face, but I know that this woman next to me is my wife. You know, you just have this impression or this feeling, you know, in the dream, oh, this is my wife. And she has a little girl, I have two little boys, we get off the boxcar, we come to this table, there's like these fenced in boardwalks that kind of curve away from us so you can't see where you're going, you know, going around the corner and we just kind of look at each other as we part and I have two little boys, I'm holding their hands. And we go around this boardwalk and, and, and there's palisades on either side of it. And you, we come to this, uh, uh, the end of it, there's a doorway. And there is a Star of David above the door. And you go in and I have these two little boys. And in my own mind, I, I mean, I don't know who these kids are. Mm-hmm. All I have is this impression, these are my sons. Okay, I have two sons. And the doors closed, and then you start smelling the fumes, diesel fumes. And I mean, probably since I was a a preteen, I'm sure I'm sure pre-teen, I had this recurring dream. Crazy dream, right? I dropped to my knees in the dream. I just dropped to my knees. And I'm just holding these two little boys singing them a song.
0: Wow.
1: Okay. Well, it wasn't until years later, and I had this recurring dream regularly, you know, not like every night, but occasionally at this this was a recurring dream I had. And I don't necessarily believe in reincarnation, but like this was a this is a pretty vivid, weird dream to have, very troubling. And the feeling I had was just total angst, total dread. And it, the dread was that this is going to happen and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Ugh. And I mean, you could, you could claw, you could cling, you could scream out, you could lash out, you could try to, you know, I could have tried to punch a soldier and, and you know, jump the fence, but I have two little boys that would die alone. Yeah. And so in my dream, this is what happens. And years later, and I want to say I was probably in my 20s. Mid 20s by this point, I watched a documentary on Treblinka. Treblinka was not a concentration camp. It was an extermination camp. It was just set up just to kill people.
0: Jesus.
1: And and Treblinka was set up. And when they liquidated the Warsaw ghetto and a number of other ghettos and towns around Poland, they sent people straight to Treblinka. People got off the trains, and it was exactly how my dream went down. They got off the boxcars, men and women were separated. Men and boys went one way. Women and girls went another way. They go around this corner, around the corner, and, and they enter this, you know, basically a a makeshift building and then they had tanks set up that were just plumbed with plumbing their diesel fumes into this gas chamber to kill people jesus and so i watched this documentary and i was i mean i just yeah, was had, it like
0: deja vu it or was were...
1: beyond deja vu so i mean i'm watching this i'm like it's almost like i'm remembering it because i've had this dream in my mind but people describing what happened at Treblinka because there were Jews that were put to work mucking out the bodies and throwing them into the mass graves and burning them and I believe a few people survived that explained and described exactly what Treblinka looked like wow and I mean I'm, I'm just watching this dumbfounded like whoa this is, <laughs> this is that's crazy nightmare I've had yeah and the feeling that I had in my, that nightmare was, like I said, it was just one of, there's just absolute despair. There's absolutely nothing you can do to change what's about to happen. You know, what's coming and you just, you just let it happen because to fight would have been futile and even worse because I have these two little boys. Yeah. And, And what's weird is after I watched that documentary and it like dawned on me that that dream was about Treblinka. And it's like, this dream was like, I was there. I've never had that dream again. I haven't had that dream once since that time. And I mean, that was way before I became a father. But whenever I research Jewish families who end up, you know, we tell a story about the Holocaust and they were at Auschwitz, so they were at Treblinka. And I'm thinking of um, Mandy Patinkin. We, we, yep. uh, oh, we you did do. Mandy Patinkin's? Yeah. So we interviewed him. He was one of the last guests for season seven. He was a fantastic guest. You know, he, he played uh, uh, Princess Bride. Yes. He
0: was in, uh, I mean, first of all, that, that man... Is one yeah. the breadth of and depth <laughs> in what he's done artistically.
1: He's
0: an amazing actor. I, I I just remember um, I watched a 60 minutes interview with him, and he's like, No, I'm a pain in the ass. But he was just honest about it, and he was just so yeah. just like, Hey, when I'm acting, when I'm doing this, and then he was talking about the play stuff that he was doing and all these. And the the person that's honest, the person that just says, Yeah, this is just who I am, man. Just listen, this is who. Then you're never mad at them because you're like, no, I told you. It's like, I come over, I talk loud, you know, I like to have a couple of pops. (laughs) Uh, Usually my kids with me, right. We're running around and and she wants to grab the adult in the room and like have a serious conversation because she's Mm -hmm. a psycho, you know, (laughs) so, but you know what you're getting into. I know when you and, and your wife are coming over, like, I know, I know what's happening. So it's refreshing when you see an actor who's just like, "That's nah, so I am. Uh,
1: he was a great guest. You know, I don't get to meet, I don't get to meet our guests. Yeah, i talked to yeah. a few of them on the phone uh, afterward if they've had a few questions or we need to follow up on something. But Manny Patinkin was, a, he was an amazing guest. He was so real, so down to earth. And, and the interesting thing was we ended up telling him a story about some of his cousins, relatives who stayed in Poland and what happened to them. It wasn't mm-hmm. pretty um but uh he said you know he didn't think he had any close relatives who died in the holocaust well we end up telling him stories about some of his father's and grandparents cousins who were in the warsaw ghetto ghetto were liquidated and were very likely sent to treblinka and you know killed and he had been to treblinka and mandy had been to been there been to treblinka and his reaction to this was i mean he broke down crying and i'm watching it you know i know the story yeah but i'm i'm watching the episode
0: are you crying then
1: tears are in my
0: eyes man. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes.
1: and quite often tears are flowing you know just because the story is a tearjerker but because our guest's reaction is so emotional and it's so meaningful to them. You know, he, he said he didn't think that he had any relatives that died in the Holocaust. And here we tell him a story about his ancestors or, or, or cousins sent to Treblinka and he'd been to Treblinka. You know, he broke down crying. And, uh, you know, that's to me, that's very meaningful to our guest, of course. To me, as the researcher, but to our viewers, you know, the thing that didn't get said there was, and I thought about this afterward. You know, Mandy Patinkin said he didn't think that he had any relatives who died in the Holocaust. Well, guess what? You know, we're all related. You test your DNA, and you throw it out on one of these. Oh uh, yeah. Websites, Ancestry or 23andMe or Finding uh, Family Tree DNA, you're, you're going to have thousands and thousands of DNA matches. These are all distant cousins of yours, right? If you go back, you know, you have two parents, four grandparents, eight great grandparents, 16 great great grandparents. You go back uh, uh, about 1100 years. If you're European, If you have European ancestry, you go back about 1,100, 1,200 years, you are statistically, you are probably related to every single person in Europe. Wow. So let me go a little farther. So everyone in Europe, everybody of European ancestry is probably related within 11 or 1,200 years, not just somehow but on every single line. So there may be some exceptions here, the Basque community, Jewish families are probably a little separate, maybe some Laplanders way up north in Scandinavia, maybe some people in some, you know, uh, 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 remote valleys in Switzerland or the Alps or somewhere. But statistically, yeah. Anybody who is living around the year 800-900 who left descendants is an ancestor of every single person of European
0: descent today. Wow, and then so if, you throw in Genghis Khan yeah. and we've <laughs> well, got yeah. about 90% of the yeah. population.
1: So yeah, and, and if you look at, yeah, <laughs> the, the, same thing could, the same thing could be said for people in, in Asia and people in Africa. You know, you go back to a certain point and the entire family tree of that population is gonna collapse in on itself. And so you're not only related to everyone else in that region, in that continent, but you're related to everyone else on that continent on every single line. Wow. You know, know, the entire family tree comes back on itself. Well, if you look at a community like uh, Ashkenazi Jews in Eastern Europe, because they tended to intermarry within their own community so much maybe it's not 11 or 1200 years maybe it's five or 600 years that everyone of ashkenazi jewish descent is related to each other within five or six hundred years not just somehow but on every single line so you go back five or six hundred years the entire jewish community becomes one giant family tree like a bubble within five or 600 years. And so when somebody says, Oh, I don't think I may have had any a Jewish person saying, I, I may not have any, I didn't think I have any relatives who died in the Holocaust. The reality is probably every single person who died in the Holocaust is related to you. Oh. If you have, if you have any, Ashkenazi Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, you are probably related somehow to every single Jew who was killed during the Holocaust within the last five to six hundred years. Wow. But here's the crazy part, though. If you have any non-Jewish European ancestry, especially in Germany, you're probably related to every single member of the SS, and you're probably related to every single member of the Polish and Lithuanian local militias or whoever was carrying out some of the dirty work. You know, you look at the whole family tree and I mean, you don't have to go back tens of thousands of years at this point, you're going back hundreds to 1200 years, we're all
0: related. Yeah, I mean, we're all, it's, uh, which makes it even more interesting, right? It makes the human experience even more interesting. The fact that we're all related and there's still these fucking people over here that do this shit and we're yeah. all related. I mean, yep. you know, it's, it's one of those things where you can gonna be like, oh, well, uh, not my family, <laughs> you know, and, exactly. and, and here comes Nick with, no, it's your family. <laughs> Folks, guess what? It's a family, okay? Well, you know, I'll, I'll throw this statistic out to
1: some people like, hey, you know, you go back, it doesn't matter who you're talking about yeah you go back you go back 11 1200 years if you have european ancestry we're all related somehow you go back 50 60,000 years we're all related every single person on earth is related on every single line within 50 or sixty thousand years no no question there Jeez. probably probably closer but you know a lot of people say well if people realized you know how closely we're all related. Every living person on earth is related somehow. You know, we're we're all family. You know, in a grand scheme, we're all family somehow. If people realize that, will we treat each other differently? And you would think, yeah, yeah, we should if we realized we were family. But at the same yeah. time, you look at, look at some families. I was going to
0: say, Nick, I treat you a hell of a lot better <laughs> than my family treats me.
1: <laughs> well, Look at some families, though, and you will see there are people that should have loved and protected you yep. know, kids who did not love and protect those kids. In fact, exactly. you, there are families out there that the, the people that should have loved and protected them did atrocious things.
0: Well, then would, would it be better to say this then? You know, is, is it better to look at it and almost go, pardon me, is it is it more? community and creation than it is family, which is, I I think we talked about this when we were together, right? And I I talked about this on the podcast quite a bit, but I think it's an important thing. You know, I I sit down with my daughter a lot and I tell her, hey, how am I doing? And I always ask her how I'm doing Mm -hmm. because of the way it works. She didn't get to choose me. I know it's cute to tell the kids like Jesus is like, do you want this to be your dad? Because if that was the case, I would have never gotten a person pregnant. Because I'm just, you know, people aren't looking down going, that's the guy right there, the crazy one. You know, and so I'm like, hey, you know, I, I talk too loud. I, 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 I'm I not perfect in any way, shape or form. So, and we're different people, even though our personalities can be similar in some ways, how am I doing? Because you didn't get to choose me. Not and I wondered if we took those two approaches, right? Which is one, community. So how do you surround yourself with people where you don't have to agree with everything, but you understand how to communicate, which creates community in the communication Mm -hmm. of diversity. And then two, the understanding that, hey, some of us, it's happy to be stuck with you, right? It's just (laughs) Huey Lewis in the news, just hit it, just they got it way too late, right? Like that should have been a hit with Adam and Eve, happy to be stuck with you. If we could figure out how to bridge that communication together of, of, you know, I, I think that I don't know, man. I think the world would be a better place.
1: It would be. It would be. You know, it is. It, and I get I get asked that question quite a bit. You know.
0: And by the way, you still haven't answered my question, but we're going was, to get go okay. back to it.
1: Bring up the, bring up. No, no. Ask your question again, I don't, don't <laughs> want to.
0: No, it was it was in all the work that you do and the the emotional connection that it has. Oh, how do when you come home, what is represented with the kids, what's not. And then when you when they talk about history in school, what's represented? And yeah,
1: I got I got. Yeah, I got I got off on my little sidetrack kind of setting up, um, you know, what I think about. So I. I, And I'm sure as a father, you may do this as well, but I tuck my kids in at
0: night. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent, brother.
1: But after they go to sleep. Okay. After all my kids are asleep, I go back and I make sure, you know, my, my kids are floppers, right? You know, they're all wonky <laughs> and bed. I make sure that they're not about ready to fall out of bed.
0: Neck check. All right. Yeah. Okay, here we go.
1: Yeah. I put them back 90 degrees, scoot them back over toward the wall. <laughs> but, you know, I revel in that. Um, I don't know. It just makes me sleep better at night. After I tuck in, all my kids, they're already asleep. You know, I, I'll, we tuck them in when they go to sleep, go to bed. Sure. You know. But I'll go back after they fall asleep, tuck them in, make sure they're not about ready to fall out of the bed and kiss them on the forehead and say, good night, sweet boy, I love you. And I have four boys, you know, for those of you who don't know, I have four sons. Um, Their age ages seven down to one.
0: They're great.
1: But, uh, yeah. They really are
0: great boys, man. They really are. (laughs) I loved it, man. I loved it. I really did. Those boys, they're awesome. When I do
1: that, I think, I honestly think back about, you know, this is what, 2021. You'd be doing the same thing if this was 1921, if this was 1721. If this was caveman times, you would be, as a father, as a parent, you would be making sure your kids are safe and not about ready to fall out of bed or getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. You know, you (laughs) would want that for your kids, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what time period it is. That's why we're here. We are here because for generations upon umpteenth thousandth generation, you know, parents have done that for their kids. And yeah, we're living in modern times where, you know, I have a big house and two of my kids bunk up together. The other kids have, the other two boys have their own rooms and, you know, this is modern times, but, you know, two, 300 years ago, we would have been in a two bedroom cabin you know yeah. or you know a, a waddled home in england you know a s- smaller house and you'd be doing the same thing and i think about oh if i was in like a thatched roof uh a stone hut in the highlands of scotland or you know wherever you are you're in a mud hut in africa you're gonna tuck your kids in at night and make sure they're safe and so i revel in that but my kids have started asking questions. And it was just the other day, my five-year-old Declan asked me about, I was doing some research and I was watching a video. It was on slavery. And I'm watching this video, Declan jumps up on my lap and he watches this video a while with me. He's five, five and a half. And he's like looking at it and he asked me some questions. And I said, well, I said, you know, a long time ago, some people were slaves and other people tried to own them and and control them and tell them what to do. And he just looked at me with this screwed up look on his face. And he just says, that's not right. (laughs) Five and a half. He goes, that's not right. Yeah. I'm like, you're right. It's not right. Absolutely. But, you know i have little kids so they're not quite there to 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 um discuss the the philosophical morality of of slavery but yet a five and a half year old can grasp the basic facts of what slavery was and just and his reaction his immediate reaction is well, that's not right.
0: Yeah, no thanks.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, nope. That's not right.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Dad, so, this two-hour movie, I'm going to condense it down into about 10 seconds. We can go into Paw yeah. Patrol or something <laughs> awesome, okay? Because <laughs> I want to solve this problem real quick, All right, I didn't even call Nancy Drew. That's not right. Sign and seal delivered, Dad. We're out of here. Where are my boys at? <laughs> yeah. You know? He's like, Declan so, for president, World War II. Just get in there. Come on, brother. Where are you
1: at? That's well, I right. Will, I will tell another story. I'll, I'll tell a story of my son Isaac, my oldest boy. So Please. this was, gosh, this was probably a year and a half ago. So he's, he's seven, going on eight. He'll turn eight in February. But um, yeah, he was probably six-ish. He was in kindergarten at the time five or six, anyway, uh, Chelsea's mom was visiting. And um, our kids, Isaac and Declan, both went to a little Montessori school when we were still in Utah. And I didn't realize that his classmate was actually the daughter of the woman who ended up being his um, kindergarten teacher. Didn't re- I, 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 it didn't dawn on me that they were, uh, th- that, that was his do- her daughter. And maybe it was the year before. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the gist of the story is uh, his little classmate, Sophia, had a birthday party. And so Chelsea's mom picks Isaac up from school and, of course, wants to engage him. And um, uh, I guess I should probably preface this by saying Isaac is diagnosed with autism. And he was nonverbal until he was about three and a half. We've okay. done an enormous amount of speech therapy and and ABA and uh, other therapies to help him with his speech, kid. You know, did you would you have thought that my my son Isaac had autism when you when you met him? No.
0: Yeah. So I mean. No, I had one. I mean, one the kid greeted me. I mean, I was <laughs> like, he's like, hey, know who you are? What's happening? Two. Instantly, like, rules the house. Like, hey, can you take your shoes off right here? It's cool. We're going to go out back. Oh, if your dad likes to, you know, boom, boom, boom. Got that and then came right over to me. Bob Knuckles was very excited. Had conversations with me.
1: Yeah. Well, he was nonverbal till he was about three and a half. I shouldn't say completely nonverbal. He had about 50 words. But if he learned a new word or two, he dropped a word or two off. So we did a lot of, of work you know, moving up to kindergarten, uh, lots of therapy to get his vocabulary up and to engage him verbally. And so by this time, he's, he's pretty well engaged, but still uh, we had to really work on him to, you know, get some conversation out of him. So he had a birthday party at school, kindergarten. Okay. And it was Sophia's birthday and Sophia's black. Okay. So I'll preface this by saying that, but um, Chelsea's mom was just trying to elicit some conversation out of Isaac. Like, hey, whose birthday was it today? And Isaac wasn't saying, oh, it was my friend's birthday. What's your friend's name? And he didn't remember. Was it Sophia? Was it Sophia, the little black girl? Was it, was it her birthday today? And Isaac got this little screwed up look on his face. And he goes, what do you mean? Sophia? He goes, yeah, it was Sophia's birthday. And she, he goes, no, no, the other part. He goes, she, she, and Chelsea's mom goes, well, Sophia, the little black girl, it was her birthday today. And Isaac just says, she's not black.
0: She's a person. <laughs> Come on, Isaac. Come on, brother. Yes. Yeah, six years old. He
1: just goes, what? And, you know, up to that point, I, I'd never described somebody as being black or white or what their race was. I mean, sure. some of the kids he went to school with um, are ethnically Indian. Uh, I think he did have one or two kids that were black. Most of the kids were white. I think one kid was Indian, as in from India, and another kid was Indian as a Native American.
0: So hold on, I want to paw- put a pause in the Native yeah, yeah. American because I have a question for you on that. But I want okay. the audience to note one thing really quick. Who yeah, yeah. A big difference here. Nick's children and what happens when they're confronted with race and, and other wrongdoings are like that's not right. I see people, good father, well-educated, has a great job. Knucklehead over here, your host of Talking During Movies. (laughs) When I drop my kid off at Bible camp, I make sure that she tells the teacher, there's no white people in the Bible. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. By the way, (laughs) two both statements are true of about Nick and about me. Listen to the difference in approach, folks. All right. Nick's is nice and calm. He's coming in. He's, show, he's introducing the kids and they're expressing themselves. And I, on the other hand, I'm like, hey, you want to make some waves? Which then Nick could attest to is how I spent my whole life doing. It's just making waves.
1: <laughs> well, you know, growing up, you and I probably had a very white, bread experience sure and, uh we had one black kid in our whole high school clyde yep i'm, I'm still friends with him on facebook are you friends? so am i facebook? yeah he uh,
0: lives in washington yeah. i believe North beautiful
1: California, wife yeah, yeah beautiful wife family and he like lost a bunch of weight and like i think his wife's a trainer or something because he's looked be- he looks better than he did in high school he's buff <laughs> kid is crazy but we had one we had one African-American student in our high school during our high school years, you know? And before I moved to Montana, I went to junior high school in Idaho. I went to elementary school in Oregon. Every kid I I went to school with was white. Yeah. Except in Big Fork, we had some Native American um, kids too, like Jimmy Nevins. Yeah. And- um, Johnny Quest. Yeah, Johnny Quist. But, uh, and Jimmy, I don't know if you know Jimmy's, um, Jimmy Nevins' uh, brother was murdered a year ago. Did you hear that? No. Terrible, terrible. Anyway, we'll talk about that later, because it's not pleasant conversation. But um, yeah, our well, no, you didn't hear about that.
0: No, but you know what? I'll tell you this. And- you should, I mean, maybe jump, you know, here, here's a little son, because you have so much free time with four kids, the wife, the, the, the job, everything else. The dark history around our age group, you know, um, late junior high to high school, when it comes to uh, the Flathead Valley, you can go back a while. There's a very dark history.
1: It is. I guess you know what we could. We. I mean, we'd, we'd be taking a hard turn there, but we could discuss we, that a little. They could
0: discuss. We should. I mean, it, it's where we're from, and and, and we and we play levity to it in the fact of what a beautiful. Because here's the hard part about it, folks. It was a great place to grow up. I mean, I I had a lot of fun. I was blessed to have great friends. Uh, in my heart, in some of the hardest times of my life, I was surrounded. By really good friends that are still my friends today that helped mm-hmm. me through that, so I have, a, I, have a, I have a fondness for it. However, the hard reality is is that man that place is there's a darkness around it at some capacity. There is,
1: there is, and moving back here, there's just weird shit that happens. Yeah, you know. But I, how about I wrap up the question you asked? I'll wrap yes, that please. up. But maybe we do take a a, a little turn here. We we discuss something else too. But, uh, so my kids aren't old enough really to grasp, grasp some of the moral implications of, you know, history. But we're getting there. And the few conversations I've had with my kids, because Isaac and Declan, they're seven and five and a half right now. They're starting to ask questions and they have a conscience, you know? And uh, as, as they're asking questions and they, they're interested in what I do for work too, they come down, because I have a home office, they'll yep, come down yep. here and they'll see what I'm doing. They say, I'm working on a family tree. Isaac will ask all the time, show me my family tree, show me our family tree, you know? And <laughs> I well, I have a family tree, I can show them. Like, here you are, and here's all your cousins, and here's grandma and grandpa, and you know, show them some old pictures, it's kind of cool. But as they start asking questions, you know there my approach and i think the approach we try to take with the tv show cuz we don't get terribly political in the tv show and mm-hmm. and i try to i try to tone it down when i'm on social media or talking to people or interviewing you know i try not to get political but all you need to do is present the facts to people yep and some of these some of these facts are cold hard facts that are just they're undeniable and they just any thinking person, any person with a conscience will look at that situation and just say that ain't right. You know, and, and the question that, that I have to ask is, well, what do you do with this information? And so, you know, on, on finding your roots. Yeah. We tell some stories that we hope are worthy of television, um, to a guest and obviously
0: are with your ratings and what you guys have been able to do.
1: Yeah, but they're, they're personally meaningful to our guest, but to our viewers, we would, we would hope that they um, inspire our our viewers to want to learn more about their own families, but also to, you know, just kind of step back and think about, you know, what's our place in history and how did we get to where we are? And then when you, you know, try to, To open your eyes a little bit and understand some of the historical events that got us to where we are today, I would hope people are better informed to move forward and decide where do we want to go from here. Mm -hmm. Because you know, people, there's that that old cliche. You know, people that don't uh, remember the past are are doomed to repeat it. Absolutely, it's true. It's true. (laughs) 100 percent. And if you think the Holocaust couldn't happen again then you're fooling yourself because oh. it could it's not going to be it's not going to be the jews and nazis it may even be more subtle than that where you don't even realize what's happening but you look at like in china with the Uyghurs. Uh, yes know, there's ethnic groups around the world that i are, was just
0: going to bring up the the, the Uyghurs, one yeah two you have you have religions on you know you i do. mean i i wouldn't say religions I, I don't know if hamas is a religion right but they're even there's just movements their edict is not, I want this. Their edict is exterminate this. So, and that's but, not, and I'm not trying to make a political statement but, on, on what's happening as much as I'm just saying to your point of, if you guys don't think something horrific in humanity couldn't happen again, oh no, there are people who actively preach this as yeah. as something.
1: And so, yes. You have people who, you know, maybe they just want to use brute force. Yeah. But then there's something even more hideous than that in my mind, and that is people who want to use the force of law, to further their agenda. Yep. And you know, and that's what the Nazis did. You know, it wasn't just brute force; they used the force of law. They passed statutes, and they said, "Oh no, this is if you're a law-abiding citizen, you're going to do X, Y, and Z." Well. You know that that didn't go down well for the jews or the gypsies mm-hmm. or anybody else that the nazis didn't like yep. um and if you think that can't happen again um then you need to step back and uh you know revisit that, that thought and we need to be vigilant about it we really do um but to kind of take a hard right you didn't hear about emily moeller and Cody. Heard about, oh yeah. I heard about Emily
0: Moeller. Sorry. Yes. Well,
1: Cody, ne- she was dating Cody Nevins. Oh,
0: I didn't know that's who she was dating. Yes. And so so I, I I heard about Emily. I, I shot bones a message on Facebook. Uh, we don't chat that much, but you know, it's just like, it like, was, you know,
1: tragic. I mean, I cried, you know, I didn't know Emily that well. She was, I'm not sure if she was in my sister's class or she was a year older than my sister, but they, I think she was a, a
0: year me. older. I mean, because they of bonesy. Brand- you know, I, I, yeah. I got to hang out with her and stuff. She was a good kid.
1: But, you know, we started talking about this, you know, growing up in Montana and, you know, living like there's no tomorrow. And, you know, part of that is just, you know, you're a stupid teenage kid and you think you're invincible and, you know, you're you're immortal. Yeah. But there is, there is an element here in Montana, and I'm sure it's elsewhere, um, kind of people who live hard and fast. And we've had a lot of, A lot of our classmates and kids who are, uh, you know, were ahead of us in school and behind us in high school are not with us anymore. Yeah. And yeah, a year ago, our classmate, Josh's younger sister, Emily, was brutally murdered. Uh, Not far from where I live now. She she lived up in Olney between Whitefish and Eureka. You know, if you're heading up the highway from, from Whitefish, she lived up in Olney. She was estranged, and she was uh, from her uh, husband. They were in a divorce case, and she was trying to get custody of her kids, and he had threatened to kill her and on more than one occasion. Didn't it do much. A, no, it was a terrible, terrible situation. The district attorney and the sheriff's department really dropped the ball to get, I believe he had a restraining order against him, but yeah, he, he showed up. And she'd, she'd started dating Cody Nevins um, and he was divorced and had two kids, I believe. Emily had four children and uh, yeah, her, her soon to be ex-husband, I don't know if they were fully divorced or not. But I can't remember if the divorce wasn't final or if the custody and something else wasn't final. But anyway, a court date was coming up and shortly before that court date, he showed up in the wee hours of the morning And he had a pistol with him, but instead he chose to murder her with a knife and killed Cody with a knife and killed his three-year-old daughter with a knife.
0: One got away, right?
1: Yeah, Piper. Piper, little Piper. And um, the the nine-year-old, I believe she was nine, ran to a neighbor and Mm -hmm. escaped. But yeah, a, a horrendous act of domestic violence that ended in three horrendous murders but he had a pistol with him Jason because then he went off in the woods went back to his pickup I don't know if he shot shot himself himself, but he he killed himself with a pistol shot himself with a pistol either in his truck or in the woods but he chose to kill her Emily and his own three-year-old daughter Piper and Cody Nemmons with a knife you know, horrendous, horrendous murders.
0: But I mean, there was you know that there's been a lot of dark stuff around the Flathead Valley when we were growing up there. Uh, I mean, there was a kid I remember. I went to uh, he he went to our church and ended up going out to Oregon to college. And he was he was drunk one night, bragging to his roommate how he how he killed this family. And there was like, huh? You know, the kid's like, hey, man, I don't know if that's something you want to brag about. It's really not that cool. He goes, no, I did. Yeah. And the I kid, you know, that. Googled. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Parents sold the house that he still wanted to live in. So yeah. he went and got a shotgun, knocked on the door go, this used to be my house. They're like, cool story, kid. Anyways, goodbye. And he's like, hold on a second. And killed the whole family. I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing because everything is painted, you get two paintings in life, right? The big city's a horrible place, oh my goodness, but then big city's got culture, and it's got this, that, the other, you know, and then you've got small towns are racist or inbred or, you know, heretically violent towards outsiders, but they've got good values and they love Jesus and, you know, whatever the the, the nomenclatures may be around those, And man, the Flathead Valley from mob bosses living there and organized crime and drugs funneling through there from the Canadian border, and then all the extracurricular violence that goes around in that area. I wonder, you know, at, at what point does there get some levity in that place?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And this is a great place. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it is. No, that's just like, I wouldn't have moved back here if I didn't think it was a great place to raise kids.
0: Yeah, no, here's the thing, folks. It's not that it's a horrible place. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that at all, because quite honestly, I mean, you put those, you put those crime stats in Los Angeles or Austin, Texas, where I live. And people be like, this is the greatest year ever. But in a small area where you grow up, stories magnify.
1: Well, right? yeah, but weird shit happens here. And it's, it's sometimes violent. It's sometimes <laughs> yes. crazy. So for instance, just a few days ago, up in Hungry Horse, which is I live in Columbia Falls. If I lived a couple miles, actually if I lived about a mile west, I'd have a whitefish address. But yep. North end of the Flathead Valley, you have to drive through Columbia Falls to go up to Glacier National Park. It's, it's only at west entrance to Glacier is only about 15 miles from me. Yep. You go through a little town called Hungry Horse, which is in the canyon where the South Fork and the Middle Fork of the Flathead Rivers come together. So just a few days ago, some guy rear-ends a dump truck in Hungry Horse, right? <laughs> and it can't just be uh, you know Jesus weird traffic accident you can't just be a traffic accident right <laughs> they're doing they're tearing up the whole highway going all the way up to mariah's pass but not only does he rear in the dump truck he then takes off they call out the sheriff's department they have helicopters flying the guy is on the loose runs up the little roads out of hungry horse going up toward the dam somewhere man hunts on so it can't just be a guy rear-ends a dump truck. <laughs> it has to turn into a manhunt in the woods with helicopters and dogs, right? And I still haven't heard the end of the story, but the, the last I heard on you know the local the local Facebook news, you know, people are telling us what's happened or what they've heard was the, the guy ended up shooting himself. Jesus. Well, no, so no, don't know what the story was, but I mean, just weird stuff like that.
0: Remember but Crystal G- Lakes? Remember Crystal Lakes Golf Course? Yes. It, do you know who bought that?
1: It was Lucky Luciano or Yes.
0: <laughs> it's, it's like one of those. No one can just buy a golf course up there. It's got to be Lucky Luciano who's got to buy a fucking. I mean, it. come on, man. Or which Moose's Pizza, were... Moose's Pizza, which was a mob boss that originally owned it. Um, and the, and the, uh, the investigator from, remember Whitefish Bank, their uh, president was investigating that guy, uh, who had bought Crystal Lakes and the FBI was going to bust him, uh, Capone style. And that bank manager stabbed himself on the back seven times. He committed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> this is science, Nick. I don't well, know.
1: You, you mentioned, you mentioned the kid and uh, can we say his name? The, the- sure murder shadow clark yeah shadow clark it was and m- remember i said i totaled my vehicle at clark's furniture factory was yeah. that's where it was well we knew the clarks i mean yeah I, I went out to that house out on sunburst or wherever you know they lived out in the sunburst area out of big fork yeah. off, uh, off the swan river yeah and i remember going up there before they moved but yeah yeah he went to george fox that's University. where
0: it, that's where it was Yep. Yeah.
1: Which was not, I mean, that's just over the hill from Linfield where I went to school. Yep. And so I was at college when that happened. I didn't know that Shadow Clark was going to school at George Fox because I used to go over to George Fox and attend Quaker meetings. Mm-hmm. And if I knew a kid from Big Board was there, I would have looked him up. But I mean, yeah, what a shock. But weird stuff. Like, I mean, that was just like totally out of the blue that that happened. Yeah. But do you remember... It was before we were in high school, but Larry Streeter, remember Streeter's Corner, the gas station there, Highway 35 and what, 83, where they can, is it Mm -hmm. Highway? Anyway, the highway going up Swan and and Highway 35, coming out of Big Fork, Streeter's Corner. Larry Streeter was murdered. Do you remember that story? That was a few years before we were in high school, but uh, I'm trying to think of the kid's name. Was it Ernst? Ted Ernst ted ernst and he was a wheelchair
0: athlete you know he was a paraplegic. yes it made uh unsolved mysteries and uh Dateline. Yeah.
1: so he lived in big fork montana he's a wheelchair athlete he like you know some world-renowned wheelchair all athlete.
0: every business in stage line pizza um the whatever the the lee's eagle bend where lee golfed uh, every business there supported him because he went to the Special Olympics and he won the gold medal or something.
1: Yeah, he was like world champion yeah. doing something wheelchair athletics. And it turns out that he was a burglar. And he yeah. had talked his younger son into a younger brother into burgling with him. And so he was like the mastermind behind it. But they'd go around to uh, vacate uh, summer, summer houses. You know, lots of people have have uh, summer and vacation houses around Big Fort because it's kind of a summer resort community. But he went out and he was burglarizing homes. And they went out to uh, a house that they thought was vacant. And I I believe it was Larry Streeter's neighbor. And Larry Mm -hmm. was, Larry Streeter, I had Streeter's Corner. He had the gas station there, and a convenience store. And he was like drove by and he saw lights and he pulls in there and here... The, you know the kid in the wheelchair is in the car but he was sending his younger brother who could walk into the house to burglarize it and they ended up shooting the guy with a shotgun killed him. you know cold-blooded murder Dude. weird shit like that happened around not just big fork but the whole flathead valley and it's still you know every once in a while i'm reading a story i'm like what the hell is wrong with the world and i don't know if it's does this stuff only happen here? I don't think so. But it, 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 it just kind of, I don't know. It piles up on me thinking, did I, did I uh, make the right choice moving back to the Flathead Valley? Because <laughs> there, are, there are some loose cannons around here who just do weird shit. And some of it's violent and terrible.
0: It is. I mean, especially, you know, you get up around a uh, hungry horse in that area. It's just, it's a, it's a hot area. A little but sketchy.
1: Well, little sketchy. I am going to tell a, I will tell
0: a story on you. Oh, hold on. Let me tell a story. Hold on. Is this the, uh, Lake dancing? Dancing? Oh, okay. I'm going to tell my story first and then we'll see if you want to tell your story.
1: I'll tell my story. My story is not that bad.
0: No, my story is not bad at all. My story is about us getting chased. So, tell your
1: story. I'll tell my story.
0: So I don't know if you remember uh, when we lived together at Revo and Brenda's house, yeah, in Whitefish, and one night we went to the Silver Boulet. Not the Silver oh. Bullet, because how dare anyone disrespect that classy establishment? Where Jason, I need there to was-
1: stop you. I need to stop you right now because Chelsea and I drive by the Silver Boulet. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we go south, you know, going down to Bigfork, the silver boule is on our way. The silver boulet is for sale, Jason.
0: You... <gasps> how much, Nick? How I'm, much?
1: I want to say they're asking like five or six hundred thousand bucks.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. You know, it's a I'm pizza a parlor, lo- I was thinking a little lower park. because of location,
1: well, and violence like factor. A, they have like seventeen acres that goes with it. It's right on the highway. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, We got 17 acres
0: for development. Hey, of if
1: you want a business partner, Chelsea and I have looked at the Silver Belay and said, you yeah, know, this is there's some opportunity. I'm telling you, there is.
0: You want to tell so, the story about no, the no. Silver so boulet? I want to I tell. No, I want to tell the first one, not the ah. dance, not the dancer one, the one where you almost got me beat up, to where the pool tables were involved, and they were playing three ball, and I was back at school right and we're hanging out we're having a good time and come in silver ball and i'm like what's three ball (laughs) and the guys are like i don't know why don't you get five dollars and see if you can do this and i was up about 50 bucks and you come up from the bar and you're like hand me a beer and go how much have you gotten these suckers for And they looked at us and went, what? And I was like, fuck, Nick, no, we got to right. go. You, you worked we, at a pool hall over yes, in Seattle, didn't you? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so all you did all day long was practice like, pool shots. Play
0: pool, That's all I did. <laughs> All I did was hustle people to pay for college and I'm trying to pay for college. You're like, how much you get these suckers from like, fuck, we got to go. We ran out of there and got into my 84 Honda Accord hatchback and drove into Whitefish on that shitty road as fast as we could with about 10 Harleys behind us for, for, for quite a while, a very nervous amount of time for only $50 a very nervous amount of time. And then the only other time we went back there was when um, I think uh, there was a bus of of ladies that were dancing and somehow we were drinking there and the guys were like, oh, we don't don't want to, we don't want to scare the ladies away with the regulars. So (laughs) can you guys sit in the front row for free? And I was like, what? And then all the girls and I remember because you called me out of this because, you know, you have a pragmatic sense and sometimes my brain, it's very dreamistic. And I remember the girls, they kept coming back to us and I was just like, hey, where's the bus go from here? And they're like, we're going back to Canada. And I was like, here's my phone number. (laughs) Better yet, we're gonna actually be at the Great Northern Bar right now. So when you guys get done, if you want to stop and have a drink, you should. And the girls were like, yeah, sure. And I'm like giving them more money. And you're like, they're not coming. And I was like, she took my phone number and the name of the bar. Pretty sure they're showing up. And we sat in the Great Northern till that place shut down by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> <No> <laughs> different up.
1: I don't even remember how we ended up at the Silver bu- Bull at that. The Either time. B-A. Sorry. the Silver Either bullet.
0: time. Obviously, it was some time where we were driving and because you are, and and folks, this is very true. Nick's not a partier. I'm not necessarily a partier. I'm a guy who likes to stop anywhere and have a cocktail. And there's a distinct difference. Partiers are are different in my mind. I am the have fun chat with people cocktail guy. So probably it was my fault every time where we were just driving by and then we just see a hundred Harleys. And I was like, how cute is it to have a hundred Harleys and one Honda in the parking lot? Let's find
1: out.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I don't remember
1: that. up there? I remember. I remember the going there. <laughs> what I remember about it was I had no cash on me.
0: Oh yeah, no, they don't go- take credit cards. There's
1: no-, no, no, no. I had no cash on me, and these girls are of course dancing, and they. Oh, out. that night, yeah. Yeah, but but like some girls, like you need to give me a dollar. I'm like, what the hell? I need? Why do I need to give me a dollar? She's like, you need to give me a dollar? Ask your buddy for a dollar. Like, I, I'd like to give you, like, I need a dollar, Jason. She's like, you're slipping me a buck so I can, like, hand this dancer a dollar. <laughs> and it was shortly after that, I'm like, we need to get the hell out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm not letting nickel and dime. There's no cash on me. She's shaming me. I'm like, I didn't even ask to be here, man.
0: I know. We were told to sit up front so you girls wouldn't get scared <laughs> away, all right? We were like the nice faces.
1: And, you know, that summer, and Brenda and Revo, they were amazing to me that summer, because that was the summer I graduated college. Yeah. I was just out of college. That was the last summer I spent in Montana. And, you know, your mom and your stepdad, Revo, were so gracious. They said, hey, we have the bedroom in the basement. No, it's yours for the summer. So my parents had gotten divorced, and we're not here anymore and you know besides living at your house you know i was i was shacking up with alex shanks in the shed out on sunburst (laughs) we did we lived in a shed i know i remember (laughs) we lived in a shed next to the little log cabin that guy shanks rented and uh i was woke there i was woken up every morning by a swarm of about ten thousand mosquitoes and a couple uh labradors that wanted to play fetch but uh no that was a beautiful summer that was so much fun and yeah it wasn't like we went out and we you know we were partying and getting drunk every night but we had so much fun that summer
0: i remember and, i mean uh, runs up to glacier national park yeah uh the whole environment of just i mean for those that don't know and what makes this conversation fun for me is not only celebrating my friend and his accomplishments and what he's done, but you guys from our freshman year in high school till now, I mean, 1988 till now, the things we got to do, the fun we, 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 uh, we were able to have the trouble we got in. It's just, it's those things where you're like, as a parent, you're like, man, I need my kid to experience this. Preferably not the almost death parts, but you got to experience this. You know, it's like why I got upset about schools being shut down during COVID. And, and because it's not that I didn't believe in COVID or I didn't think you know, it was nothing like that. It's just like I was just sad because, man, those memories with those people, yeah, with those perfect. times, with the stuff, you can't replicate that. There's I mean, you nothing. You can't make it up. Yeah, you, you can't, can't make, make it, it, up.
1: it up either.
0: Folks, we could tell you stories that would have people's spines shiver that you just can't make up, but you also can't replicate. There's no Zoom class. There's no conference call. There's no whatever app you want to build where all the girls or all the boys can have a Sadie Hawkins dance together. Nothing can recreate what two friends can do when given a little bit of freedom and a little bit of fun and the chance to be together nothing at all and that is is the magic of community and people and 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 friendships and and families or or whatever the hell you want to call them that that's the beauty of it that that's the glue that's the thing that 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 keeps us together do nick and i see each other every day no i mean we've gone what 10-year stretches without physically, you know,
1: Oh yeah, well hanging I, out? Yeah, I, I would try to drop in on you when you were in Washington. Yep. And I, I saw you at least once, maybe twice in California. Yeah. Then you were, like, off the radar doing stuff. I don't know what in the hell you were doing for a <laughs> few years. Fishing.
0: I think you were. Yeah, were fishing, you, hanging out, you know. I
1: think, were, no, were, were you, like, the, fishing in Mexico or something?
0: I was a. Partner in a very lucrative fishing I thought you were in jail. Honestly,
1: seriously, I thought you might have been in jail somewhere. I well, don't remember,
0: <laughs> My death threats made the front page of the New York Times. Like, was a popular. Here's the funny thing. I, I want to bring this up too, but because this is interesting, of our graduating class, this is what I think is the most hilarious of all the people we graduated with, all the fun, and I'm not, you know, and uh, we we graduated with some very intelligent and and fun people. But here's the here's the unique thing. Anyone who sees a movie about high school graduating class, like oh they got this wrong, da 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 whatever it may be, you look at these grad, you look at our graduating class, you look at our yearbook, you look at where people are at and what they're doing, and it's not that it was so much accurate, as it was our comments about one another in our yearbooks and how we talked were extremely accurate. Mm-hmm. Like when people are like, what's Jason gonna do? What's gonna happen? You know, like people answering questions inside my yearbook. Yeah. Like God only knows, but we'll all hear about it. Like those yeah. are the things that are written in. And it's true. Like I asked my friends, I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, I have no idea if there's, I there's one thing that's sheer in my relationship with Jason. I don't know what he does and it's hilarious. Right. But, and so I, you know, I, I, I then I ask you, it's just like, if you think about everyone you graduated with, and you you know, and the craziness, and the different directions we've gone, and some of the some mm-hmm. that have stayed really home, it seems like, in my mind, accurate to who those people were. Uh, not limiting them in any way, just saying that it seemed like that's what they wanted to do when I knew them, and they and yeah. they stayed true to the course.
1: A lot of yeah, a lot of friends that I've kept in touch with on uh you know through social media for sure and but i want to say the last you know you stopped by my house here when yep. you came up to see your grandma yep with harper and uh i want to say the last time i saw you before that was when chelsea and i went to texas after we were first married
0: yeah and hot daddy
1: you were just barely engaged at that point. yep. yeah So, yeah, and that was, that was, that was 10 years ago.
0: 10 years ago. So we went 10
1: years without seeing each other in person. Yeah. But, uh, okay, I'm going to tell a story on you. Please
0: Please do. (laughs) Because I was
1: thinking about Hungry Horse, right, going up to the park. Oh, shit. Do you remember a, it was a a, a Thanksgiving weekend. And I don't recall what year it was. It must have been when we were in high school. We must have been in high school. All right. Because it wouldn't have been after college. You know, it couldn't have been after we went to college because we wouldn't have been home. So we must have been in high school. I'm thinking it was our senior year,
0: Thanksgiving.
1: Somebody at your church was going away for the weekend and they had wood heat, nothing else. They had a wood stove. And they asked you to stay at their house up on Lake 5 just to stoke the wood stove so their pipes didn't freeze you remember this
0: no but i wouldn't have trusted me to do that job
1: <laughs> jesus christ well you went to you, cavalry, were... cha- you went to cavalry chapel so you like they were nice people they i'm sure they i'm were sure people. they
0: were super nice but i'm a moron today like i was oh
1: so, jesus. so lake five you were house sitting at lake five oh for that's thanksgiving weekend
0: that's the guy you trust
1: yeah okay at, so that's the backstory they had no electric heat no baseboards or anything you had to you had to keep this wood stove stoked so their pipes didn't freeze because it got like 10 below that weekend and you invited me up i know i stayed at least one night there
0: yes and, and yes had,
1: some other friends came over i mean a couple of girls that i'm sure we were trying to hit on and that uh, didn't go anywhere because it no, never didn't never did day, never, but I remember somebody else stopped by. There was a hot tub out there. Remember there was a hot tub? because That hot tub plays into this because we got this crazy idea and we weren't even drinking. I mean, we didn't drink.
0: That's true. We really didn't drink back then. No.
1: I mean, we weren't like under the influence of anything except our own stupidity. We got the crazy idea that we were going to go down to the dock. And break the ice and jump in Lake 5. God, that's right. Below zero.
0: That's right. That's right. Because yeah, our skin, it froze on our skin going back up to the hot tub. We well, cracked yeah. and we ran.
1: Lake 5, Lake five it, there, was a, there was a steep shoreline going down. Yes. And there was snow on the ground. So, yeah. like, I mean, I don't even remember. I, 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 I can't even remember if there were stairs or anything. I do remember you and I were on the end of that dock. And, of course, we like, you know. Had to kick down and break the ice a little bit before we jump. But you and I were holding on with like both of our
0: hands. <laughs> like, like
1: if I'm going, you're going. Like we're not. Like doing we're going
0: it. together, brother. Like,
1: <laughs> and I'm looking at you like you're gonna let me jump and you're gonna stand there and you're gonna at me. And I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. So we're like yep. holding on. Like what? Okay, we're going on three. And I remember like we had to count to three more than once. Oh um, yeah we jumped in lake 5 when it was 10 degrees below zero broke <laughs> the freaking ice jumping in lake 5 yeah. and i rem- i don't and and to this day i do not exactly remember it's like like that dream i had where you have an impression of what happened uh-huh you don't remember exactly what happened but somehow we scrambled up the snowy hillside Yep, and jumped in the friggin' hot tub. It
0: stung it was, so bad. It was
1: pins and needles. Yep, it was like I was, like about ready to die. Pins and needles, stinging me because it, friggin' melting the ice off of my skin. Oh, I, 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 I'm trying to... like that. That I mean, that sort of shock could kill a person. I
0: know. And we weren't oh, healthy either. It's not like we're like, you know, by the way, we're not like having the Joe Rogan diet. We're like doing the yeah, like, kale oh, shakes in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not with, we're not with fun. Wim Hoff hanging out. was like, all right, guys, now jump in the lake. By the way, with no plan to get out of said lake.
1: No, that's the other no. thing.
0: No one realizes. We jumped off a dock Yeah. into the water with this, no plan of there's no ladder. There was no ladder on the
1: freaking dock that's i do remember that <laughs> like we're in the freaking water there's ice around us we broke the ice I, i'm pretty sure that we broke the ice with our feet yeah before we jumped in so we weren't like, like we weren't just gonna like jump onto the ice and break it as we fell through so we broke the ice where we were gonna jump
0: yeah but we knew it was deep enough that we we're just like going right. Right in.
1: but there was no ladder to climb back on so we had like we're we're hanging on to the friggin' dock, yep, breaking the ice with our arms to get back over where we could touch. Just yes. to out of the lake,
0: morons! And Stupid. folks, here's here's what you take away from this. Guess Ten what? Ten degrees below zero. Here's what you take away. Don't get so frustrated with kids. <laughs> stop, stop getting so angry and frustrated with kids, man. Stop. Relax and stop. They're gonna do dumb things. You know why? They're kids. Just don't have them do the dumb shit we did and you're good, okay? Think about what our parents went through, all right? Folks, it's gonna, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's a green light for your kid to be an idiot. My mom never
1: knew about that till like just recently I mentioned it.
0: Oh, my mom never knew about the roof riding. Neither did my, Uh, my wife got uh, scared. Why, I'm telling the story and my wife is perspiring. She's scared. Does it like, she doesn't know the ending. And I'm but looking at her like- What
1: the hell were you thinking doing I'm, that?
0: I'm also, I'm looking at her going, hey honey, I think you know the ending of the story because you know, we're married. So- yeah.
1: Nobody died. Well- No maybe. one died.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, I mean, folks just, you know, take, I, you know, and I do mean this as, as, as kids need to step it up and, and be more respectful. Parents, you can take it a little notch down and I, and I can take notes on that. I want to tell you this story, right? So, and I, I'm bringing this full circle to this point. Kid and I are hanging out and I'm like, hey, uh, pick her up from school. I'm like, we gotta do this, this, and this. Going to Taekwondo, I, I call it ninja class. Going to ninja class, gotta get your gear on, get you fed, gonna do these things. Bam, 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 let's go. Come in, I'm like, are you getting these things done? She's like, almost. I'm like, nope come on, let's three things. Let's go. Bam, bam, bam. Let's go. Short period of time. I got a corral and you, you got four. I got one. I'm still, I'm like, come on. I see her and she's like, looking in the sky. Doesn't have her glasses on. Doesn't, have, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? So fourth time repeating myself, I get a little frustrated. I'm like what are the two things that matter. Manners matter. Listening matters. You're not listening. So therefore you're not having manners. So let's go. We end up getting into where I've raised my voice now because she's still not listening. Mom calls because she's traveling for work. You know, it's FaceTime. I'm just, you know, that's mean. And, you know, all the stuff. Go to Taekwondo, coming back. I'm like, hey, I want to tell you something. She goes, sure. I'm like, I know when I raise my voice sometimes, uh, you don't like it. I know that. I also know that when I ask you to do something, I'm asking you to do it because it's important. So let's make a deal. We're going to work on you listening better. We're going to work on my voice coming down. And she goes, that sounds great. Thanks, Dad. And I don't know how everyone else grew up but I never had that conversation with my parents.
1: Oh, hell no, no.
0: <laughs> Especially not Lee, right? I mean, like you know, <laughs> my way's the highway and it's the only highway and it's a free country but you can't move unless you get on my highway. So here we go, here are the rules. And I just wanted to be better. Like my only goal is that my kid's gonna be better than me. That's my only goal in life. You know, so for Indiana Jones and you look at this whole movie and you look at Sean Connery looking back, he's kind of this goofy dad. But he really does want his son to be this, he's proud of his son, but he wants to make sure he's just better than him. He just does it at a, at a better level of excellence. And his son has, has accomplished that goal. And that's all I want for me and my kid. I want her to be better. And in wanting her to be better, what's very interesting is in finding out that her personality and how I approach that personality decides how, what she absorbs or doesn't absorb, A. And then B is, if I really want her to be better, then that means I have to be a better parent.
1: Yep, for sure. Well, Jason, that's, that's I think that's kind of the, uh, you know, that's the story of human history. And I think about this all the time when I'm researching family trees mm-hmm. or even my own family. You know, there's a great quote um, in a movie, I believe it's called, Look Who's Coming to Dinner. It's an old movie with Sidney Poignier and Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. And the gist of the movie is Sidney Poignier is black mm-hmm. and he's um, going to marry... Oh, guess who's, to guess who's
0: coming to dinner.
1: Guess who's coming to dinner. Yeah, that's it. That's it. yep. You know, old movie, like from the 50s or 60s. Anyway, there's a great line in it where Sidney Poignier is talking with his dad because his father was opposed to this marriage of a black man and a white woman as well in the movie. And Sidney Poignier says you know, to his dad wagging his finger, you know, look old man, you know, I don't owe you anything. You know, you did what you did because you wanted me to have a better life. That's because you owed it to me as your son. He goes, and the way I pay that back is not as your son doing what you tell me to do because I owe it to my parents. The way you pay it back is you pay it forward. You pay it to your kids. So, and I think that's really a, it's a valid concept. We owe it to the next generation to make the world a better place. And yeah, you can be proud of your ancestors. You can be, you know, not proud of your ancestors, you know, but guess what? You had nothing to do with what your parents or grandparents or great grandparents did, but you have everything to do with what you do right now. And what you do right now is going to influence your children's lives Yep. and, and the lives of your grandchildren and great-grandchildren for generations whether you know it or not little decisions you make now are going to have an impact generations from now and you know you you when you realize that little decisions people made you know 150 200 500 years ago have enormous impact uh, impact now you know uh, little decisions you make today Are going to have an impact tomorrow and forever and yeah you want to be a better parent and what your approach with Harper I mean you know mutual respect you know say you know how about I tone it down how about you listen better I try that with my kids (laughs) cross my fingers at work someday but really you know it comes down to you want your kids to have a better life and do better things than you did. I think every generation does that. Does it always happen? Maybe, maybe not in the grand scheme of things, but you want to give your children that opportunity and whether or not they grasp it and run with it and they do great things. That's another story because that's on them, but you want to give your kids a better opportunity. And in my work, uh, this is not lost on me. Some people in our history did not have that privilege. Slaves, for instance, did not have the privilege of giving their children a better life because they were born into a situation where they had no control over what happened to their own little family group or their children's future. and we are very privileged in the, the modern times we live in where we have so much more freedom today than people did 150 years ago. Whether you're Black, White, Native American, Hispanic, Asian, European, it doesn't matter where you came from, people today have more freedom than they've ever had in the history of mankind.
0: Oh, 100%. One. And we shouldn't
1: take that for for granted. And the greatest, I think the greatest freedom we have is to give our children the opportunity to do even better in the future. That that being said, that being said, you know, depending, you know, what statistics you look at, uh, between 15 and 45 million people live in some form of slavery today. Yeah. No, it's not gone, whether it's just economic servitude or de facto, like I'm holding you in bondage to work for me. Um, you know, there are people out there who do not have this privilege that we have to decide what we're going to do with our own lives. But ultimately, you know, I have kids. I want my kids to have a better life. Some people, you know, some of my friends, they they don't, they don't have children, mm-hmm. you know, but they're still, I know because I talk to them you know, they still want the world to be a better place.
0: Absolutely. For the next generation. And they get and they get to be that influence on your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, that positive influence on your kids, that decisions are made personally and those decisions can still have a positive Im- impact moving forward. Yeah, Obviously, for sure. You know, I have a question for you real quick before we go here. Yeah. There's been, of, of recent, uh, probably in the last five years, I've just heard it building more and more and more in the montana dakotas washington and then the uh the lower uh, canadian provinces the catholic church harboring uh native american children taking them out of the tribes to indoctrinate them in western culture and how many of those kids died or were so far removed from their family that that there's no records back have you have you uh, uncovered or uh, addressed that in your show or um, in your own in your research okay
1: not not in the not in our show not in finding your roots and not in any research I've done personally but I am aware of that and there are I've looked into it a little bit because I'm just curious and I'm interested in it um carlisle pennsylvania was one of the main indian boarding schools in the united states um there's others other indian boarding schools in the united states but yes i've read a lot about the canadians because it was a lot more prevalent Mm -hmm. with the first nation people in canada to just go in and systematically remove pretty much every school-aged kid and send them off to a boarding school which were run largely by the catholic church as i understand it And yeah, they are, I mean, it was anecdotal in the families and there are some records that a lot of the kids died and Mm -hmm. the families never saw their children again. But uh, there's been some research and been some excavations at some of these boarding schools where there's, I mean, it's just like mass graves, kids died. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. And these are Native American children who were forcibly removed from their families ostensibly for their own good to immerse them in western culture you know eradicate their own culture and language um but ultimately a lot of these kids died and it's question were they murdered were they did they die from neglect were they just you know were they severely treated and they died from you know wounds just from you know harsh discipline
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you know there's a lot of unanswered questions we don't yeah. have them those answers um but i am i'm in a number of social media groups where those subjects are you know pertinent
0: yeah <laughs> and, and it's, it's tragic because it's, it's coming you know, to light it is coming
1: to light for sure
0: and i think it's beautiful i think it's it's interesting right I, I i want to close with asking this question you know of all this stuff coming to light i don't mean it flippantly when i say it's it's, it's good to see but I think it's good to see the the beauty and the ugliness of humanity. But as a person who lives in history, is there a point? Do you see where too much could come to light, or, mm. are, are you in the camp? Uh, you know, because because we are in a cancel culture, we are in an indo, we are in a mm, I don't want you to know that quite yet environment of learning. And I'm not knocking that. Well. I'm not knocking it in this question. I knock it personally, but in this question, I'm just asking like, hey, is there ever a point where you're like that's just too much or is it how much more can we get so we fully understand not only A, the human condition, but B, human history?
1: Well, I, the, the short answer is no, I don't think that we can know too much about our history. I really think it's important to have an accurate picture what happened when as, you know, as well as you can but, you know, we lack documentation for a lot of the details. Sure. You know, we don't have documents or records that are gonna give us all the answers. But to have a, 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 a big picture, to have an under, you know, at least a cursory understanding of history and have those facts available to us, allows us to understand what, where we got today. What I do documenting family trees puts a personal face on that mm-hmm. because if I can document a family tree back um, you know and, and and establish a personal connection between somebody say we're who we're interviewing and say these are your relatives these, this is how you are related to these people who are alive during this this historical event or were sometimes major players in this historical event um, then that really brings it to life for some people So what I do is I try to establish a personal connection to history, but in the broader scheme of things that helps open a dialogue for people generally wanting to know more about history and seeking out those facts. And then what you do with those facts, well, guess what? That's up to you and your conscience. And, uh, you know, in my mind, you know, some of our history is very ugly. Yeah, and how do you explain that to your kids who are only 7 and 5 years old? Maybe it maybe it's they're not ready for it. But adults? No, I don't think we hold anything back from adults. And I think it's important that adults confront some of that ugliness because some of that ugliness is still with us. Yeah. You know, and how do you how do you stamp it out? You only stamp it out by throwing the curtain back and
0: so, yeah you got to shine a light on it you got it i i said it i say it I, I say it a lot on this podcast i'll say it again free speech is amazing it comes at one very expensive cost education yeah you know you don't silence people let them speak let them speak
1: well even though but it but in, but in
0: letting them speak have the educated people around right? Listen, right now, when you, when, you, when you keep cutting funds for education, keep pulling away from education, when you keep taking from that base, you're only creating an environment of indoctrination or an environment of editing and cutting things out because they can only take so much because they haven't been educated. Stop, folks. Invest in education and you don't have to worry about the flat earther. Let the flat earther talk. Why, you know, what's more, what, what's more important? Silencing the flat earther out there, right? Because you know it's wrong, silencing it, or silencing the scientist who maybe when we thought the earth was flat said it was round. Well, don't silence truth yep. for convenience and don't silence morons for convenience. You know, you've you've st- touched on something,
1: and I think it's very important. And the credits have been rolling, and we're almost to the end of it. Yeah, podcast.
0: we're good. Don't keep I, chatting.
1: I I don't like to get too political, you know, in a public venue. Sure. But but I will throw it out there. You know, politically, I'm a libertarian now.
0: You and me it's both, like, brother.
1: I am no longer registered with one of those dinosaur parties. So politically I'm a libertarian, but like at heart, I'm a libertarian. I'm a live and live let live and let live kind of guy. And, you know, I, I tell a joke about it. I'm not going to tell that joke because it's probably not political politically correct. But there was a really cool TED Talk a while back. I've tried to look it up and I can't, I can't. I haven't been able to find it the few times I've tried to look it up again. But it was basically, uh, it, it, it plays into this a little bit with, you know, you talk about, free speech and throw it all out there. And we talked about diversity, you know, when we grew up, we, have, we were exposed to all kinds of different types of folks and different types of ideas. I think diversity is very important. The most important diversity that I think is important is diversity of interest. And mm-hmm. it doesn't get talked about that much, but it's like, you want people to be interested in that diverse sorts of stuff, whether it's religious, whether it's cultural, or whether it's just you know economics and the nuts and bolts of what do you do with your life and what sort of business do you do, you want people to have diverse interests, and then you know just academically. Um, but this TED talk uh, was about artificial intelligence, and they said, okay, we have this artificial intelligence. We're gonna throw a whole bunch of scenarios at this artificial intelligence with like end of world, zombie apocalypse sort of stuff and this ai is going to come up with you know how should we organize society in order to deal with and survive these catastrophes and i mean we're talking about asteroids hitting the earth you know apocalyptic sort of stuff tidal waves volcanoes you know all sorts of pandemics
0: it's it's all shut it down bitch we're done you're all good
1: Exactly. So pretty much every zombie apocalypse scenario you can think of, they like threw it at the AI and this artificial intelligence comes up with, you know, how it's going to, how humanity might survive. And, and what I got out of the TED talk, the one time I saw it, and I, like I said, I like Googled it and haven't found it again, but they were anticipating that the artificial intelligence is going to come up with oh, this is how you organize society. You know, what sort of government do you have? You know, not in great detail, but where do people live? Do, now, I mean, does everybody just go living in a pod somewhere and you have these you know, cities that are basically in one giant building? whatnot? The bottom line was that the artificial intelligence decided that the best way humanity could survive was to be as diverse as possible. Wow. But, where people lived in pretty much every climate and every region on earth, where people lived in totally different ways compared to one another in different regions and different groups and different organizational communities. And this is the way that we survive as a species. There is no one way, there is a multitude of ways. And if we are, and I do believe this.
0: Sounds very libertarian, sir.
1: If we're gonna survive as a species, we need to embrace diversity, not just diversity of skin color, not just diversity of religion or, or even political thought, but we need to, diver- to embrace diversity at a very basic level. Like people who are just interested in totally different things, living in totally different places, doing totally different things. Yeah. Because if an asteroid hits the middle of Africa or Australia, and that's ground zero, or if, you know, Yosemite and, and the great, not Yosemite, sorry, Yellowstone and, and yep. that great caldera decides to explode and I'm probably within ground zero of that.
0: Hell, but I'm ground zero of that.
1: You're gonna have entire regions of the world, you know, wiped off the map. And so just diversity of where people live yeah. can affect where humanity survives. And Elon Musk isn't wrong that we need to start colonizing other planets. You know, we need to put in a colony on the moon. We need to put a colony on Mars, because if something happens to our planet, we need to be someplace else and have a foothold there.
0: We need to. We need to at least if, try what if hey. we
1: if we have a shit hits the fan situation. But the bottom line of this, in you know, a little scenario, and like I said, I wish I could find it again. Maybe somebody. Maybe I'm just not putting in the right terms, but. When I go to search for it the bottom line was we need diversity a diversity of interest diversity of where you live diversity of what you do for a living diversity of how you make a living and if we're going to survive as a species long long term but getting back to that how do you get there you don't get there by stifling free speech or free expression because that's like the rudimentary basics of diversity you know, if you can't express yourself freely, then diversity is not very meaningless or not very meaningful. Diversity becomes meaningless if you cannot express yourself meaningfully, uh, meaningfully and, and respectfully.
0: True.
1: So, you know, getting down to the very basics, how do we treat each other? Well, yeah, you could say brotherly love, but I know brothers that don't get along. <laughs> hey. I know brothers that don't get along at all. Yeah, I mean,
0: I would, you know, I think it comes down to, it's you gotta, you gotta remove the the nomenclature. You just gotta be like, hey, we're a piece of dirt spinning <laughs> around a really big <laughs> spot. We really think we're cool shit, and we need that to keep surviving, but reality says we're not that cool. So. Let's be a little nicer. You know, if we could just remove the politics, I, I I told this to a friend the other day. I said, you know, you know what? If politics weren't around, COVID, the response for helping people for getting things done without politics, mm-hmm. well, we wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, I just firmly believe in the heart of hearts, people are good. I just do, and. I look, at, I look at what we lived through as kids, farm aid and we are the world. Guess what those two things didn't have? Politics and, <laughs> politics and religion. Guess what politics and religions don't, don't get, a, get their greedy little hands into? And guess what? People just gotta help each other out. Well, farmers got a little help from people, from, from, from some t-shirts, some hats, and some singing. We are the world, feeding people all over planet Earth. Now, mind you, probably could have fed a lot more the record industry had to get there, 90% cut of that billion dollar album. So it only fed like five kids, but the thought was there. you know. I mean, it was like we, when we're together and we're combined with our hearts and it's music and it's community and it's relationships, we do great, man, we really do. But then we got these two things that we just decide we really want to divide us versus your point of diversity and understanding. And I think understanding versus adoption or understanding versus winning you over. We think differently in a lot of things. We talk about those things we have in the past. We've never tried to convince one another to come to my side as much as we've just shared different viewpoints. And it's crucial. I, I just, I, I fundamentally believe it's, it's crucial. I, I agree with that for sure you're not going to change their mind and what you don't want that. If you want you next to you, to, if you want you to be your best friend, do a lot of drugs, a lot of LSD, split your brain in half, get a new friend. You're going to be great. You're going to have a good time. Hey, I know you got to go. I have to go too as well, but I have one last ego question for you. Ego, ego, question. ego driven. I know, but here it is. Okay. I, I don't get asked this question a lot, but Seven years, television shows, you've seen interviews, you've done interviews, you've been a part of interviews, you've created shows where you know how the interview is gonna go. One, how do you think this was gonna go? And then two, even though I've been your friend for many years, how did I do?
1: Oh, well, I had no freaking idea how this was gonna go down. I, I asked you like, what do we do? Do we talk about, do we like talk about Indiana Jones? we haven't we've like mentioned indiana jones two or three times i mean I <laughs> uh, you you know you tell me we're, well we just talk about whatever we want to talk about it's right. it's cool i think it's cool that we can just talk about stuff and i think we've talked about you know a couple things growing up in montana and kind of how it's a great place at the same time it's the weird shit happens
0: yeah
1: um but also, you know, the bigger picture, you know, with humanity and where do we go from here and how do we make a world better place? I, this is cool. This Thank is you. cool, Jason. I like Thank what you. you do. And I'm glad that you're my friend. And, you know, we were best friends in high school. Yeah. You know, we were tight. And um, I think about you all the time. I think and moving back up here, you know, I've, I'll, I'll, we'll be driving down the highway, and Chelsea and I, we pointed out the silver, I pointed the silver boulet out to Chelsea at, you know, when we were moving up here. You know, Driving to Columbia Falls for the very first time, we drove, I'm like, oh, there's the silver boulet. I could tell you a story about the silver boulet <laughs> and it's the story you told. But um, the silver bullet to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, You know, anybody who doesn't know what a classy joint it is. That's right. But um, no, I think about you and I think about those years growing up, um, you know, very formative years. And I think those years really shaped me. um, Your high school years, your teenage years, wherever you are, those are those years are going to shape anybody. But when Chelsea and I said, where do we want to land? Where do we want to raise our boys? Um, You know, this was one of the top areas on my list. There's some other places we were considering, but it was largely because I had such great memories here when we were in high school, you know? And is it the place? I don't think it's the place necessarily. The place gives you the opportunity to have these experiences, but it's really the people. And I will tell you, Moving back to the Flathead Valley, we have had some great experiences and great interactions with people here. I, I do I really do love living in Columbia Falls, especially. It's a little more like the valley, the rest of the valley used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, big forks become very built up and gentrified. Whitefish is crazy gentrified yeah. with lots of transplants moved in and it's so built up. Columbia Falls is still kind of the same way it was. Uh, when we were growing up. It's a little more of the blue collar corner of the valley, but the people are great. And while the area is cool, yeah, there's Glacier National Park, you have the Swan Mountains, you have all these cool lakes, there's that opportunity. That opportunity doesn't mean much unless you have somebody to enjoy it with. Yeah. And so I am really hopeful, this is a good place to raise my boys um, because I'm hoping that they make good friends here. And you know that was one thing Chelsea and I we we just bit the bullet you know last year with COVID and craziness and we had nothing else keeping us in Utah um, you know we said where do we want to land so we came up here um, last year for a week and and looked around but um, it ultimately it doesn't matter where you are yeah living in a cool place gives you those opportunities but if you don't have people you know community and friends to enjoy it with you know it's not very meaningful and at the same time it really doesn't matter where you are you could be living out in the desert or you know in a shithole and but if you're surrounded by good people that could make all the difference
0: making the best, you know? best place in the world
1: whether you have good family good friends good community then it doesn't matter where you are uh, and that ends up, ultimately, I think that ends up being what's most important, family, community, friendships, because, I mean, you know, on your deathbed, I'm, I can't imagine being on my deathbed, but, you know, you want to look back as it going to be, oh, I lived in this cool spot, or I lived in a shithole, or, you know, you're not going to be thinking about where you lived. You're not going to be thinking about the place. You're going to be thinking about the relationships you had with people. That's, uh, I mean, it, it has to be. When I've, you know, had relationships with people who are at the end of their lives, relationships were all that mattered at that point to the, the people. And if we, I think, to embrace that a little more now, um, the world would be a better place for sure. But I think we'd all, also, um, we'd enjoy it more, you know? Yeah. Making the world a better place doesn't have to be a, a, a boring, stoic, thing you can enjoy it while you're doing it you know
0: absolutely absolutely no those are those are wise words wise wise words well listen uh nick as i close this out i say this every time and i mean it every time a little different with you um you can go to the store and buy a banana and go bad you have to go to the store and buy another banana the bread goes bad the milk goes bad go buy some more stuff time's the one thing we never get back True. It's gone. It's gone. And so whether it's a, a friend for she's over, th- you know, 30 years 33, or 30, 33 30 years. years, 33 years strong, or, uh, or as a stranger, it, it's still, you got four boys, you got a wife, you got a job, you know, it, it's, it's, it always blows me away that someone wants to spend two hours of their time with me just chatting. It really does. It does, man. It blows me away every time. Well,
1: I had no idea you even did this. Seriously, <laughs> I, I, didn't know. I, mean, I saw on like, uh, I, I saw on Facebook. Yeah, you did this talking over movie stuff. I didn't pay any attention to it. And yeah. you what it was I'm like, what? You do what? And yeah. I like listened to a few of them. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I'm yeah. game. Get a little
0: numbers, you know. We do a, we'll do a couple yeah, hundred thousand is- downloads of this. Have some fun. But it's, you know, but it blows me away that people still spend the time to do it. And so uh, with something you don't get back that you generally share it with me Um, and you've shared so much of it with me with so many crazy adventures and so many good times. And uh, so many times when, uh, you know, when, when I wasn't my best and you brought me up, it's never forgotten, man. You've always had a special place tomorrow, you always will. You're a dear, dear friend to me. You always will be. I love you deeply.
1: Thank you, man. I love you.
0: Be good, brother. And uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Okay. Good night.
0: Good night.